I just missed when I tried to turn my microphone on. Swung on and missed. Hi, 609. Uh, how, how many times I've turned a microphone on in the last 40 years? <laughs> I think I know how to do it by now. Hi, how are you? Steve Cochran Show, Kid of the Week coming up. Also, Heather Sharon, who's somebody that Justin, uh, uh, what's his name, Kimball? Who's a nice guy here? Kaufman. Uh, oh, Kaufman. <laughs> uh, Justin Kaufman uh, introduced to the show when he did the show with me last year. And uh, she's great. She and was she great. can update us on everything related to the strike and why it didn't get solved yesterday afternoon. Didn't you sort of have a sense that it was going to be over? Yeah, I did. And nothing, yeah. Steve. Nothing. Yeah, the CTU president last night said that he his optimism earlier in the day was uh, 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 over. What was it? He said uh, it was unwarranted. Hmm. So something happened yesterday. Adam Hogue later on the Bears. Uh, Dave, you put any stock in this idea that the Bears are going to trade for another quarterback? Uh, I don't think so. Hmm. Not right now. I mean, and is a trade deadline coming up. There is a trade deadline uh, coming up. I think the end of the week, it's coming up shortly. What if they make a deal for me? I used to have a pretty good arm. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's a possibility. I think you, you're on the radar, Steve. But I no, I don't think so. And you know, it's it's very rare that a team goes out. I mean, it can happen. I mean, look, some teams have some backup quarterbacks who are playing really well. A kid at Carolina mm-hmm. has done a great job. So Cam uh, Newton's available. Well, Cam Newton may be available, yeah, but you know Cam Newton. There's a reason he's not playing. He was first, he was hurt, mm-hmm. and then they got hot with this other kid in there. And mm-hmm. Cam Newton's got he's got a lot of miles on him. He's he's had some injuries. Um, you know, I mean, I still wonder about Colin Kaepernick, but I don't think he's necessarily going to be a midseason kind of solution. Let me throw anybody. a couple names at you: yeah. Fran Tarkenton, Is Fran, Fran Tarkenton, of Francis uh, Tarkenton, Y.A. Tittle. Uh, he's, he's really. I'm not sure his playing days are are still ahead. George of him. Blanda. No, I, I would say uh, probably not. Okay, All right. these are just ideas. Yeah, no, they're great ideas. Sure, of course, they are. at one time. Uh, Breakfast of the Blackhawk later. A guy who I really like the looks of this Ali Mata. Uh, 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 yeah, I know he calls himself Oli. I prefer to call him Ali. <laughs> It's okay. Uh, Oli Mata is a cancer survivor, and hockey fights cancer night is a Sunday with the Blackhawks. So we'll be on talking about that big O later as well. An interesting guy. I'm looking forward to talking to this guy, Rich McHugh, big-time producer at NBC who bailed on NBC when they shut down his work with Ronan Farrow. And he's got a lot to say about that, and you can read about it in Vanity Fair, and he'll be on talking about that later. At 6.11, let's do the top six at six. From the Steve Cochran Auditorium in the lovely Sunrise Hotel, it's time to get your kicks. Get your kicks. Get your kicks. With the top six at six, sponsored by American Weathermakers Heating and Cooling, the 60-Minute Men. If you're a teacher and you're uh, on the picket lines today and you say, wow, that looks like Elizabeth Warren. I didn't know she taught in the school system. Turns out she's actually Elizabeth Warren and she wants to be president. She's going to march with some picketers today. Where's that going to happen? Where is her appearance going to be? She's going to jump line to line, Steve? Do we know? Um, she is going to be outside of Oscar DePriest Elementary School, um, mm. which is uh, in South Austin at about 9.30 this morning. Well, Warren tweeted her support for striking teachers in the past. 
in a Sunday afternoon video as well, urging teachers to be strong. She'll be in town today. Um, I would assume this morning would be the key time she's in town. We'll find out. Next. A bag exploded while being loaded onto a flight at Midway. Turns out there are no reports or injuries. Police bomb squad was called to the scene. It was cleared about 1 p.m. yesterday afternoon and evening. They thought it was possibly a a cell phone battery or a charger. Is that still the thought? Yeah, it's some sort of big battery like that. And it was apparently somehow caught and dragged by one of those airport uh, vehicles. And so that's the contact between the battery, the bag, the battery, and the concrete of the ground. uh, Likely what caused that battery to explode. Next! Ten, is the, the duck seems slow today. Is the duck okay? <laughs> have, we, have we fed the duck this He's morning? Ill. Let me go to Super John. Is Super Joe's the duck okay? The the duck is doing just fine. All right. Yep. Ten police officers from the Gresham and Morgan Park districts, along with firefighters, were honored yesterday with a CPD life saving award for their roles in saving a 14 year old's life. 14 year old boy suffered multiple gunshot wounds to the chest in the Gresham neighborhood earlier this month. Obviously, continues to recover. But not without the life-saving efforts of those folks who do that every day. And obviously, we should recognize them every chance we can. Uh, next. Are we really out of stories where we're talking about a new area code? Is that really a top six story? Sure. Okay. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Oh. <clears throat> if you live in a 217 in central Illinois, and there's a new area code there. It'll be 447. Again, breaking news. 217 gets a new area code. There's also going to be a 447. Could change a lot. <laughs> this does involve 37 counties, though. That's a huge part of Illinois. Well, yeah, it's Champaign-Urbana, yeah. too. Springfield. So that's big. So does that mean some 217s will become 447? Or there's so many that have uh, that are now living in central Illinois, they needed more? I, I think that's the last part of that. Is or actually. maybe the new phone numbers will just be 447. This is all because of the win over Wisconsin right. on Saturday. <laughs> and it's important because if somebody yeah. dials you with a 447 phone number, you're like, well, where is that from? Now you'll know. You're it's like, you think Illinois. it's a telemarketer. Right. But- Excitement and it's someone exciting. local. Could I've got be- a 630. I'd like a 447 instead. I have Can a I trade? one too. You're in a 312? I'm a 312. That's a fairly baby. famous area code. I can drink a 312 too. Yeah, well, listen, we all have our issues. <laughs> uh, next, World Series starts tonight. Astros in their third World Series. They uh, won it a couple of years ago. They lost it to the White Sox in 2005. Yes, they did. Nationals have never played in a World Series before. First pitches in Houston at 708 tonight. And this is why Cub fans ought to be worried. Houston uh, was a young team on the up-and-coming when that famous Sports Illustrated cover came out, I believe in 2014, said 2017 World Series champion Houston Astros. (laughs) Nailed it. Yep. Absolutely nailed it. All right? Cubs develop this young team with nothing but talent. They win in 2016, and they haven't sniffed it since. No. Well, they sniffed it. Mm. They got back to the (laughs) NLCS. Got to get back to sniff it. Can't smell it from where they've been, Dave. Uh, so uh, they've uh, they've got a reason to be concerned and uh, and to get their act together because the clock's ticking. And finally, this uh, Y O N D R Yonder is that Yonder? Yonder could be the answer to you being addicted to your phone. It's a small pouch that swallows your phone and locks it up. Started back in 2014, hundreds of thousands of pouches have been used across North America, Europe, and Australia. People enter a school, a courtroom, a comedy show, a concert, a medical facility, a wedding, or other event are asked to slip their phones into the pouches when they enter. Once they're locked, they stay locked with their owners until ready to leave the premises, and the devices are released from their tiny prisons. The pouches can be rented for a a single event or an extended lease. They're now used in over 600 schools as well. Um, I don't understand how this works. So does the Yonder locker phone 
Does that uh, is it like a like a fanny pack or uh, that you keep on you? Is that the that the situation? It's not a fanny pack. It's like a it's literally like a pouch, and then you just put your phone in, and it's supposed to deactivate your phone for as long as uh, as you want it to. But can't you take it out and leave? Um, you can take it out eventually whenever you're ready to use your phone again. But it just gives people the opportunity to enjoy just, life. Enjoy life, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. okay here's a, here's an an idea that's kind of crazy. Turn it off. Well, yeah, or willpower. I mean, yeah. it's just a phone. How you about, can put it away for a couple hours. How about put it in your purse? Yeah. Why do we need a yonder? People are addicted to their phones. <laughs> yes. Just right. walk around and look at everybody looking down at their. You phones. need to have a reason not to pick up your phone, and if your phone has literally been deactivated for a period of time there's your reason do you ever go to like a funeral uh-huh. and and there's and now you know it's pretty common at weddings people many say funerals, silence your silence your phone yeah, yeah. but then constantly during whatever event you're attending the phones are going off it's like well there's a what? very there's a famous funeral story as you think you know bob collins funeral mary june rose who ran this place yeah i was um, there i don't remember this actually i'm sorry it wasn't collins yeah it was harry Okay. Harry Carey's funeral. Her phone went off. And she took it out of her purse and she sat on it because she was so nervous she couldn't figure out how to turn it off. Oh, my God. So it went from ring, 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 ring to... But, but, I mean, it's not new that you should turn it off. Steve, I thought you no. would like this because a lot of comedians use this at their concerts. So, like, what you do is you put it in the pouch and then once you enter Actually, the- that's a lie for comedians because when some idiot's phone goes off, that's four minutes of material right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, like, I know Dave Chappelle made people do this yeah. when he was practicing his material. How much does a yonder cost, Viv? Uh, let me double check that. I mean, I don't want one. I'm just curious how much it costs. I think you do. Are you going to make this a uh, phone-free zone? You're going to put a... Yeah. We talked about this, Dave, what was it, four or five years ago, and I I couldn't get everybody on the show to agree. I said, everybody puts their phones in a bucket or a basket or a hat or something at the beginning of the show, and let's see who goes to check it first. It's impulse for me. Sometimes I'm not even wanting to check it. My body just goes through the motions of checking it. Yeah. I'm that way with know. Cheetos. <laughs> Cheetos. <laughs> That's what I thought a yonder was at first, a big pouch that you dump it in <laughs> until I looked it up. I'm like, I think I've talked about thing? this on here. I had an agent um, whose wife, uh, when people would come over, would take their phones. Wow. So unless you're here to make a phone call, this is not a phone booth. Right. I'm happy to take your phone. You can have it when well, you leave. I know a lot of people in their households have a place, like a you know, an area where everyone puts their phones, like in order uh-huh. to have dinner together or for study time or phone free time. But man, it is it is an impulse. Like it's hard to control. Even if you know, like there's, you're not even wanting to check your phone, mm-hmm. but you find yourself checking your phone. Mm-hmm. I saw a story recently where uh, some millennials especially look at their phone and move it around even when they're not doing anything. So they'll look at a screen and just move stuff around, Just and there's nothing there. It's like a binky. Yeah. It, it, people do that in the elevators all the time. I mean, they, they do it everywhere. I'm just trying to think just of to what look the... important Well, there's no more awkward talk in the elevators because people just immediately, when they feel awkward, they just go to their phone. Yeah, but, right. but the other problem in this building... Uh, I notice it a lot is you'll be trying to go through those turnstiles in the lobby and people are looking down. They don't look. They, they have to get through. They have they to constantly come. run into that glass. Well, they do. Yeah. People <laughs> it's are crazy. looking down constantly no matter what. I was trying to think what the equivalent of this would be for other generations, like past generations. I don't know if there was one. I don't know. Otherwise, like uh, when Dave and I uh, were in the Old West in the late 19th century, <laughs> a lot of people would be waiting for a telegram instead of going through the security <laughs> yeah, gate at the right. saloon. 
Yeah. How about newspapers? Didn't people used to walk around looking at newspapers? No, yeah, but not no, as bad. No, not like not this. as bad. On the trains, they do. Dead. Yeah, well, you look at on trains, but there's a difference. Like a lot of people don't know this, but it's perfectly legal now to run someone down on a crosswalk if they're looking at their phone. I don't know if you know that. Yeah. That, a, it is not, it's not that's a court not true. That will convict you. <laughs> Steve, do you remember when they came up with the, the it was like a yonder for the stone tablets? Oh, oh. yes, that's right. <laughs> I do remember that. Because bigger. we would chip into the stone tablets, run them from village to village. It'd be yes. quite heavy. But people say, stop looking at your stone tablet. Mm-hmm. And they have to put them in a giant pouch. And I'm telling you, if those suckers swung in the wrong direction, ooh. Ooh. No damn good. Yeah, that pouch was made out of woolly mammoth fur, by the way. <laughs> that's exactly yes. right. It's yeah. true. Dave and I invested heavily in the woolly mammoth farm. <laughs> yeah, that didn't that's go so well. Kid of the Week coming up. Stand by. More of the Steve Cochran Show. That's it. That's all today for the Top 6 at 6. No more. Sponsored by American Weathermakers Heating and Cooling. The 60-Minute Men. You know, there are pieces of material that come up uh, when I do uh, show preparation. Show prep, as we call it. Uh, they really have no place in the show. You kind of wedge them in wherever you can. They're not scheduled. And you got a couple of minutes to kill. And you think, well, here's I could actually use this right now. Has anybody seen uh, the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown special this year? No. It's on tonight. Is it tonight? It is tonight. Well, it's perfect time. Why is it new? Different? No, but I love the Mental Floss website. And they actually were nice enough to help write the show this morning with fascinating facts about It's a Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. Let's see if any of these are actually fascinating together. The future of peanut specials depended on it. Uh, the creators had very high aspirations for Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, when they screened it prior to its premiere, however, they felt it didn't live up to its potential, and CBS is going to cancel all future Charlie Brown peanut specials unless it's uh, the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown thing didn't perform. Got a huge number. Save Charlie Brown for the rest of us. Okay, you guys don't seem fascinated. I love Charlie Brown. Um I got a rock. <laughs> That's my favorite line. <laughs> that whole thing when he trick or treats and he goes, I got a right, rock. Right, he had a rock, yeah, because he was Charlie Brown. How about this? It was the first time Lucy snatched the football from Charlie Brown. Was that right? Really? First time ever, yeah. Yeah. You remember Cody Park? He played the kicker in that one? <laughs> I do. Lucy's the bossy one, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, There's like a bossy one, a depressed one. Yeah, Lucy's Lucy's the one that sets up the uh, counseling Psych- box. The psychology with, uh, booth for yeah. five cents. Exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> here's one you don't need to share with the kids. The music composer for the show, Vince Guaraldi, Gu- Gu- when he was putting together Great Pumpkin Waltz for the show, decided to take a break for the shower. When it came out, he thought he heard noises outside, went outside to investigate. Uh, naked, uh, got locked outside, and the police had to show up. Who? The composer was found naked by the cops. Oh, by the way, good story about being locked out of your house. Uh, we'll take a break. Come back with your headlines next at 720 WGN. Now, how old are you? I am 10 years old. 14. 8. 12. I'm 18. I'm 10 years old. What grade are you in or about to go into? I'm a senior. Eighth grade. Sophomore year. I just uh, finished junior year, so yes, I'm a senior. I'm in fourth. What do you do for fun? I love art. Art is my favorite. I do soccer, basketball, cheerleading, tennis, baseball. I like to play on a trampoline, and I love to make slime. I act and plays, and I sing all the time. I also write stories because I love writing. I play tennis. I also like to play soccer with my best buddy, but I'm not. Listen, you're a great kid. What do you want to be when you grow up? I'm still figuring it out. Pediatric oncologist. I really want to be a marine biologist. I'm not really sure yet, but I'm looking into biomechanical engineering. I want to be an orthodontist because you can help kids feel better out their smile. Will you run for president someday? I want to. Are you excited to be on the show? Yeah. 
You sound super excited. <laughs> Have you ever been more excited than this? Yeah. Back to the Steve Cochran Show. All right, 639 now. And one note on Kid of the Week, um, I think Abigail Grace, uh, my almost four-year-old granddaughter, could be uh, Kid of the Week soon for uh, kind of a unique talent, and that is making me do anything she wants, regardless of the danger it puts me in. Yesterday, when I was uh, reading her a book before she was supposed to take her nap, her grandmother said, Abigail, uh, Pops can read you a book. So I went in to read her a book. And then she wanted to read a second book. And you know me. I mean, I draw the line. One book I said, I said, oh, okay. Uh, and then we read the second book. And she said, I'd like to read three more. Ooh. And that's when we were busted. That's when we got busted. We were on book five. And then uh, Grandma came in and yelled at me, not her. So I'm just saying, if I do a hard time, uh, Abigail Grace is the, uh, is the uh, culprit here. Worth so. it. I would have kept that. You know, I would have been reading books till this morning yeah. if she kept asking. Just say I, you have a book you know, club. And, yeah. You know, that's what you got to do. And then she started reading books to me and correcting the words that I was reading wrong. You know how it goes. Does she critique the books? Uh, yeah, she has her own. <laughs> <laughs> she brings over some other uh, three-year-olds, and they all sit around and talk about what they got out of the <laughs> books. Be hilarious. All right, joining us now in studio, Dean. How are you? Doing good. Yeah, Dean. How do I pronounce your last name? Kusunelos. Dean Cusianellos. Dean, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you might be Greek. Ah, uh, that'd be uh, that'd be correct. That'd be correct. Yeah. And this is weird, G. You know, um, uh, Vivian booked him. She, and you're saying this because she is also a very what? proud Greek. What? Actually, we've been talking to Dean in studio. We like him very much already. You're 16? Yeah. Go to what school? Glenbrook North. Um, and uh, you have some amazing art talent. When did you know you could actually uh, paint, draw, and things like that? Well... I think it's four, but I I, don't know, I can't really remember. My parents tell me that I used to like get on the I used to like just draw on the ground for hours, and you just knew you loved it. Yeah, I, it was just a human thing for me. What do you like to do? Uh, paint, draw, or both? I well now, painting's like my secret love. Okay, but I, I like doing stuff with charcoal and drawing. Yeah, I was gonna say, watch me, watch me be fancy art guy here. What medium are you working in? Oh, oh. Uh, charcoal. I used to work in ink, but now it's just charcoal and oil. Um, and uh, where's the skill come from? Are you taught in some way, or is this all natural? Well, I, I, I have two teachers. I, um, I have been going to an art school for. Shout out to Once It Clicks, uh, Jenny Hewn. She's my art teacher, and then I have an art teacher at Glenbrook North. Uh, Leanne Block. Who do you like better of those two? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's a great question. Yeah. All right. Now, you brought in several things. You know what, uh, G, would you mind crank those lights up so we can hold these up on the stream? If you're oh, watching absolutely. them, stream at WGNRadio.com. Actually, yeah. Viv's coming in to do Sweet. that. Um, we're going to ask you to turn towards which camera? Does it matter? Uh, probably right up here. See where the clock is on the wall? Yeah. Just uh, show them to me first and then hold them up to that. Let's see what you have first here, and then I'll describe them for you guys on the radio as well. And what we'll do is we'll take pictures of these, and we'll put them up at uh, WGNRadio.com and Twitter at Cochran Show and various other places. All right, so the first one is what? So um, the first, yeah, the first one's charcoal, and it is a still life of my boots and my jacket. And, and Vivian, a fellow Greek, does not know how to hold it. <laughs> uh, hold it up to that camera, Viv. Uh, that's that's literally the clothes you dropped on the ground. Yeah. So where? How does that inspiration? I mean, it's a very cool uh, picture. So I get inspired by a lot of like vintage things, 
And um, I've, I've always worn boots. Viv, come over here. Stand between, right here. Stand between these two. And then hold them up between these two. Right there. That's good. Yeah. That's good. So, and I would be able to see them. Um, and uh, I'm sorry, you were saying you always wear boots? Yeah. So I've always worn boots, and I kind of get that from my brother. Okay. And I don't know. It's just a... Uh, Does your brother have any art talent, or does he just drop his clothes better? <laughs> um, he he plays many instruments, and he also performs with me, so... We have a very artistic family. Yeah. Any yeah. other, like, creative no. interests? Just uh, oh, just yeah. art for you? Or well, for, I, uh, I play violin. Oh, see? Multi-talented. And I the, knew it. And a dance troupe. Um, wait, you dance, play violin, yeah. and you're an artist? Mm. And you got a great head of hair, too, which is annoying me, by the way. <laughs> All right, show me another one. Uh, that's item number one. Um, do you sell any of these? Uh, yeah, I do. I do sell work. Very nice. Um, what, what are we looking at now? So this is probably one of my first portrait oil paintings. And who is um, the guy in the picture? So it's just, it's, uh, that's like three different pictures that I merged into one. And it's like an old Cretan man from Greece. Oh, <laughs> Kind of okay. like wearing a cigarette. And you say you also do outdoor painting as well. Yeah. Do you, so, so what kind of paintings do you do? Do you have subjects? Do you do outdoor? So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I just started, but I, I kind of, that's like my new thing now. Like, I'll, I'll go outside with like a little, it's called a pocket box, and I'll just bring a bunch of oil paint and just paint like, you know, maybe I'll just find like a scene that I really like and I'll just sit there and I'll just paint it. Is it true that artists have phases? You're not just a portrait person your whole life. You're not just a landscape yeah. person your whole oh life. Oh, my God. Like you're inspired by something, and maybe a month from now it goes away, or maybe yeah. it lasts longer than that. It's just like like, uh, like I started with, you know, I used to just sketch, and then I did, like, comic art, and then I did stuff with um, ink, and then I did charcoal, and then I did oil. I mean, now, what, yeah. are you committed to starving? Uh, <laughs> uh, because here's my point. It's a very difficult way to make a living. It, oh, yeah, It's incredible. Sure. And your talent is already amazing. I want to see one more, by the way. Rule of three. Uh, but uh, it's a very difficult way to make a living, as music is and dances and other things. You must have very supportive uh, parents, very supportive family. I do. I definitely do. And I'm very grateful for that. This is Right now, I'm just selling stuff on the side. This was... Um, and we're holding up another one. By the way, radio art review is a new thing I'm doing. <laughs> uh, but if you're watching again at WGNRadio.com, you can see this. I love this one. It kind of is reminiscent of a tree, but it's uh, modern. It's the, the hands are the uh, tree trunk, and then instead of like the leaves, there's a face. And yeah, the, and a very and serene face. Yeah. Who is the face? Uh, just a, I don't know. I just kind of I just kind of put that face there. I wanted to do a female just because it kind of rings better with the piece. I mean, I think to be it's what's remarkable is that you're so young and your work has so much interesting depth. I mean, you have to have a lot of self knowledge and empathy and sensitivity. Yeah, maturity yeah. to be able to do this. And I would imagine this makes you really popular too. <laughs> well, I can tell you, and I, you know, it's funny you said. I was just thinking of this. Okay, you're a good looking dude. Here's a guy who's sixteen. So yeah, you said 16. 16 years old? Yeah. I'm guessing you get a fair amount of attention. A sensitive guy <laughs> who happens to be an artist who also is a good-looking dude. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I could paint you a portrait. Uh, so be careful, my friend. Be careful. Don't change. I mean, you're already selling the paintings and pictures and drawings, too. Yeah. So that's pretty cool that you're already making some money off of your work, too. Yeah. I mean, I got I to gotta keep doing what I'm doing. And it, what, do you, what do you think you want to do? Any idea? Well, I want to I want to go into design and minor in like business. Okay, but what does somebody who can do this with their hands do in a world that lets it's you a do side this job. with? A, no, but a, a world that lets you do it with a computer. That's a great question, and I think it it's uh it just 
it like boils down to what's your neat like what's your niche because it's it's like it's such a competitive world in, mm-hmm. in terms of art that some people are really good at being on the computer and some good people are really good at doing what they do by hand but the one thing that they have in common is like the creative mind. Well, I would hope that the world continues to have respect for artists who are able to do it with their hands because oh, it's not sure. a knock on computer um, artistry because that's a skill as well. But it's a different skill. It's more mathematical and it's more yeah. You know, it's more rote, more systematic. You got to do it with your heart and your head. Yeah, and that yeah, there's a lot of challenge with that too. All right. Um, are you getting any inspiration in the studio? Like, do you want to maybe paint Dave? <laughs> oh, yes. oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> Under these really bright lights this early in the I, morning. I'm thinking maybe for a project for art class. Right? Right? Yeah. I'll, I'll just take a picture, bring it in. I'll be like, Miss Block. Yeah, exactly. We got, we got a guy. I mean, yeah. how many hours a day are you drawing or painting? Um, well, it probably comes down to like two hours at least. That's a lot. Uh, along with the regular stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's a big deal. But you have to, right? I yeah. Mean, it's, it's what drives you. I mean, sometimes it's like the dessert. I'll like stay up late. Yeah, I was going to say, because I'm not comparing my art to yours, <laughs> but I vividly remember being at your age, and certainly even now at the age of uh, 109, <laughs> uh, getting up in the middle of the night because something funny occurred to me and yeah. I wanted to write it down. Oh, that's what it is. It just kind of comes into your head and you just refine it and then you put it on paper. Discipline and commitment. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Just you and your brother, or you got a big family? Um, it's me, my brother, and then I have a, a middle brother, George, my mom and dad. Hold on a second. A Greek named George. <laughs> I know, crazy. Knock me over with a feather. <laughs> well, my other brother's Yannis, so like that's even... Right? Yeah. Um, and your brothers support you as well? Yeah, they, they support me through everything. So you got a heck of a family, man. Yeah. Well, that's what makes you a great kid of the week. We're going to give you some stuff here, um, a big box of 64 Crayolas and some stuff. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> have you maybe do me, you know, during the commercial break, come yeah, up with just... something. I mean, honestly, what could you do with this forehead, right? I mean, is that a canvas <laughs> or lot, what? There's a lot to work with. <laughs> <laughs> just paint Nicely done, Dee. Yeah, he's not lying. Uh, it's great to meet you. I'm really impressed. You as well, man. Yeah. Thank you so for can people see what you do? Is there a website for this? Yeah. So um, You're on Instagram, you, yeah, you said, you right? You guys can follow me on Instagram. What's your handle? Uh, it's Dean underscore K-O-U-S underscore art. Okay. Dean underscore K-O-U-S art. Good thing you didn't leave the whole name on there. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there should be like just a spell mm-hmm. correct, like a like a, a, some spell check situation yeah. on Instagram just for Greeks. And <laughs> no, they should. They really should. Right? Yeah. With and the 14 syllable names. Instagram. No uh, website or anything. No, yeah. It's just Instagram. Okay. How many followers? I don't know. I'd have to check. A lot. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah. so many. You can't even you can't even count them. All right, last question. Have you ever painted yourself? Uh, a really long time ago, when I was like, I don't know, like sixth, uh, like probably like fifth grade. I, I was it. I was told by a friend who's very artistic and, and very good at what you do, um, and makes a little money off it. That that's the ultimate test for an artist, and it's, it's revealing. Different. Because however you paint yourself in that moment says something about how you feel. Yeah, because you know to a certain extent it's like you're, you're like with with when you paint um, things and you paint people, it's a lot of expression. So like you're not just you're not just painting what you see when you paint outside. You're painting how you feel about what you see. Right. So if you're painting yourself, there's definitely like a greater expression than if you were you know just painting some random thing. You know, um, we could call this the narcissist period because of the times we live in. Um, But that would be interesting just to see if a series of time, you know, people take pictures at one point in their life every year at the same time in the same place. See how they change, right? Yeah, it'd be interesting. 
So uh, let's meet back here in 50 years when you're 56 <laughs> yeah. and I'm dead and, uh, and then talk this over. Yeah. So. Oh, for sure. Totally. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. <laughs> I like this guy. Uh, thanks for coming in again. Uh, thanks for being a great kid of the week and an inspiration. I hope to younger kids who are listening who want to chase this as well. Yeah. Uh, and you, you want to suck up to any teachers who you're going to be late for school for here? You need a note? Well, my U.S. history teacher, I, I sent him an email. I was like, I'm going to miss first period and the test that I have to take. <laughs> Uh, Your dad's just finding out about the test. <laughs> All right, if there's any trouble, have him call me. Oh, of course. All right, good to meet you, pal. Good to meet you as well. It's uh, 6.53. We're just taking some pictures here in the studio with our art friend. Um, I, I, I really like that kid. He's got like this chill vibe about him. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. He's very mature and, uh, man, what a talent. Crazy. You know, I once tried to draw that that dog on the back of the comic book thing to get into the Minnesota School of Art. Yeah, how'd yeah. that go for you? They rejected me. They said we we don't think that's really for you. So, but if you're in art class with him, don't you feel like it? It's kind of unfair. Yeah, yeah. Well, again. I don't want to, you know, be cheap about this, but that's a good-looking dude with an incredible artistic I talent. I was going to see how long it was going to be before you mentioned anything. I'm just saying, I didn't have his problems at 16. No, you didn't. Or, yes. His assets, yeah. When we continue, uh, we'll get to the news top of the hour. And then Heather Sharon from the Daily Line on the uh, teacher strike that we sort of had a, a, a thought that might end yesterday. Now, Steve, is there optimism today or is it too early to tell? It's too early to tell, but the way we left things last night with everybody was that there was no optimism at all. As a matter of fact, uh, the CTU president, uh, Jesse Sharkey, uh, was hoping that there would be some agreement maybe by Thursday uh, that it would take just a couple of days to get it going. But after the mayor gave that letter yesterday, uh, he said that uh, hopes were dashed for a quick resolution. So uh, we'll see today if they're digging in, but they'll be back on the picket lines. There are more talks scheduled, and maybe the tenor or the tone of things will change today. There is a, a lot of national attention on this, not just because it's Chicago, but because this is the first major city strike that involves social issues like affordable housing and uh, and kids being able to um, uh, eat and have a, a fair level playing field and things. That is generally thought to slow this process down, but a lot of people are watching how it proceeds to see if other unions might take up the same causes. So, yeah, we'll see how it develops from here. A couple of texters catching up on stuff from this hour on the show. Uh, Mary, you're talking about uh, that. Uh, what's that thing called where you drop the phone, the pouch? Yeah, you, uh, begins with a Y. What was it? Yoder? Yeah, the Yoda. Yo- Yoda. Yonder. Oh, the Yonder. 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 Okay. <laughs> Uh, Texas says it's a neoprene pouch. If you need it, you step outside, and they release the magnet on the pouch. Uh, people have no willpower. It's too bad it has to be forced on people to realize we all need a break from it. So I'm trying to figure this out. If I own the Yonder, why do I have to have someone else release the magnet? I mean, I think it's really more for, like, venues and artists and, so do, and do, teachers. Yeah. So do the schools, schools. <laughs> the schools for 12 bucks give me a Yonder? Is that the deal? No, no. I mean, I think they probably own it, and they own the system so that, you know, they hand out the pouches, you put That's the stuff I mean. in, and then once you're in the zone, it magnetizes or does whatever to lock. And Mary, just to uh, pick up on the uh, Charlie Brown situation. Uh, my five-year-old, this is another text rate for seven. My five-year-old wanted to know why everybody was so mean to Charlie Brown. When Charlie Brown got nothing but rocks, Charles Schultz's office in California got candy delivered for months. <laughs> News time now.
This is the Steve Cochran Show on 720 WGN. All right, so what side are you on? Do you have to pick a side? So, yeah, I mean, it's not hard to go. Well, look, again, there's no money, but the teachers make a lot of good points here. Uh, it's not easy, and I'll tell you who I feel for. Parents we have to figure it out again for another day today. There's nobody better than Heather Sharon at telling you what's going on in Chicago. Good morning, Heather. Good morning, Steve. Nice to have you back on the show. I'm happy to be here, especially uh, if I'm going to be introduced like that. Anytime. Not bad, huh? <laughs> uh, Heather Schrum's the Daily Line's managing editor and City Hall reporter. All right, so we thought we had an end to this school strike yesterday. What happened? Well, it seems like things started to take a turn when Mayor Lori Lightfoot sent union leaders an e- a letter that basically said, uh, we need to get kids back in class, and I'm asking you to go back to work without a deal while we continue negotiations. And that went over like the proverbial lead balloon. The only uh, leverage the union feels is to stay out? Right. And uh, that was a non-starter from the beginning. And then negotiations got stuck, as Vice President Stacey Davis-Gay said, over the issue of enforceable class size limits. And this is turned into sort of a key point of contention. The union wants guarantees written into the contract that classes won't be above a certain level for each grade level, like high school, you know, middle school, grammar school. Um, And so far, the city has either been unable to meet those demands or unwilling. So is this the only sticking point they're uh, squabbling over right now, Heather? No, there are a host of other issues. They still haven't settled on the length of the contract agreement. They haven't settled over pay. Um, They haven't settled over specifics in terms of counselors and social workers and librarians. They made some progress on those issues over the weekend, but uh, it sort of came to a screeching halt, it seemed to, yesterday. City said we're not going to give on money. We don't have any more money. We're broke. There is no more money. Does the union agree? Uh, They do not. And uh, this is sort of also one of those fundamental questions. Uh, Over the last two years, the the school district has gotten somewhere in the neighborhood of a billion dollars more from the state after it changed its school funding formula. And the union says, that's great. Let's put that money directly into the classroom in terms of more staffing and more resources. And the city says, yeah, that extra money is great, but it's basically the only reason that, you know, we're not teetering on the brink of bankruptcy anymore and we have a significant amount of debt to pay back and we all have you know we all know about the pension crisis so that's where that money has to go and we can't really use that money for you know what we would like to do and that's the other sort of you know sort of strange notion about the strike is that everybody agrees on the fundamental yes there should be smaller class sizes yes there should be more support workers uh it's just a question of how do you make those promises how do you enforce those promises and do do each side trust each other to live up to that agreement? Heather, another complaint that the union has been talking about is that the city saying it doesn't have any money and then finding money for subsidies for corporations. I know that the Lincoln Yards has also been something that they've been discussing. Can you flesh that out a little bit for our listeners? Sure. 
So in April, just before Mayor Rahm Emanuel left office, the city council approved essentially $1.4 billion in uh, subsidies for the Lincoln Yards development, which would basically turn what is now vacant, formerly industrial land along the north branch of the Chicago River into a brand spanking new neighborhood of shops and stores and condos and homes and parks and everything else. Um, That money will be generated as the property value of that land rises. So essentially, the city is going to take that money and sort of give it back to the developers in Sterling Bay. A lot of people want the city to sort of get that extra tax revenue and keep that extra tax revenue for the um, city and for the schools. But as Mayor Lori Lightfoot pointed out, that money doesn't exist yet. It only will exist when that development starts. And that development hinges on those subsidies that the city has already agreed to. So um, I don't want to say it's phantom money, but it's sort of imaginary money at, at this point. And it's not sort of sitting in an account somewhere that, that Lori Lightfoot could write a check to the union over. Well, and see, that's this is where I fall on the side of the city, because there are, uh, you know, a million different uh, uh, agendas that the Mayor Lightfoot and the city have to answer to and figure out how to spend the money. But, and this is why everything can be butted, uh, mm-hmm. but on the other side... There's the constant argument, which I think is fair. Why are we giving more money to Springfield? Why are we giving more money to the city when they clearly don't know how to spend it? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a tough situation, and it's made significantly harder over the fact that I think the union uh, feels like they have trusted the city in the past only to see the city not live up to those promises, and that they are pushing to put those promises in the contract so that if the city reneges, they can go to court and basically hold the city accountable for it. Otherwise, you know, they're left with holding press conferences and yelling at people like you. Uh, you and me, Steve. Well, <laughs> right, exactly. to piggyback on just what you said, Heather, ultimately, isn't that the issue? It's a trust issue between both sides. I mean, because philosophically, they do agree that these things should happen. It's just, is the union going to trust the mayor when she says she really just doesn't have the funds to do it? That's right. And it's also sort of an existential fight over how do you run a school district? Do you put promises of staffing and, and those sort of things in the budget or do you put those in the contract? And the mayor has been very clear that while she's willing to sort of negotiate a little bit on these issues, that she's simply not willing to reduce what she calls operational flexibility to run the district in the way that she and Janice Jackson, the CEO, feel um, they have to, whereas the union says, you know, we don't think you're going to do what you're say- what you've said you're going to do. So we want you to put put it in writing as the hashtag they've been using, and and put it in the contract, which will make it harder for the city to sort of step back from those pledges. You know, the, we talked about this last half hour. A lot of people around the country are watching to see if this social issues folded into a strike. Um, is successful, and will other unions take it on? There's literally thousands of people listening right now who have kids in Chicago schools that they have to figure out another day for who are losing time in school, and they don't want kids to be homeless. They don't want kids to be hungry, but they also want their kids in school. Is it fair to fold this in, and is it slowing it down? 
I don't think there's any doubt that it's it's slowing it down. Um, you know, you and I haven't even mentioned the fact that the city is offering teachers the 16% raise. Right. So the issue is really not money. It's really sort of these other issues. And I think it's an open question as to whether it makes sense to try to shape the city's affordable housing policy, its homelessness policy, through a teacher's contract. However, the union will say, look, all of those issues directly impact our teacher's ability to teach in the classroom. If you've got a kid who's coming to school cold and hungry because they didn't have a nice place to to sleep the night before, that's going to affect the entire class. That's going to affect the entire school. And the union's point is, look, the city has known about these problems. It's no secret that, you know, the city has a has an affordable housing crisis. And we are simply advocating for our students in the best way we know how. And this is how we have decided to do it. Um, it but it is, it is certainly not a traditional strike where, you know, the widget makers want to, wanna, you know, five cent per hour raise or something along those lines, um, which makes it a little bit, I think, trickier to sort of navigate and is is complicating a final deal. So couldn't the city take a step here by saying we, and they have said this to a lesser publicized note, of course we agree kids shouldn't be homeless, and of course we agree we have a problem here, but a set-aside or a future considerations dollars figure to get this off the table to move on with the other things that are solvable because something big and 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 you know as fluid as this i don't know how you solve this in a matter of days yeah, I think that's a good question. And the city has tried that to some extent. Um, they had made an offer to basically earmark $400,000 that would be used to develop a pipeline of new support workers like librarians and counselors and social workers. Uh, that also went over like a lead balloon um, with the union who says that the city, you know, basically isn't taking what they are demanding seriously, and that doesn't really address sort of the fundamentals of the issue. Um, but, you know, I think that uh, it is a huge task that the negotiators are facing today, and it appears that um, at least not at this point will the full bargaining team be at the table today um, in sort of a show of um, upset with what happened yesterday. And at the same time, uh, Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren is headed to the west side to rally outside in Austin uh, Elementary School with striking CTU workers. So that will no doubt turn up the uh, media attention just you know a couple of notches i would think so the social worker part of this you can listen my guidance counselor in high school got me through high school it's one of the great people i've ever known in my life and i salute guidance counselors and social workers it's a it's a thankless job and it's an incredibly important job however the nursing part of this is more important to me and i i'm an idiot i thought by law every school had to have a nurse not even close to true huh Right. No, it's not. And there have been, you know, some really great work by my colleagues over at the Sun-Times documenting sort of the struggles that parents with um, kids with medical issues have, have suffered through. There was a story yesterday about, you know, a, a child who needed an insulin shot every day at school and was basically told, well, you or your husband is going to have to come to school every day and administer that because we don't have a nurse. Um, and that, you know, is a significant problem for kids. And I can only imagine a huge source of stress for parents, which is why the union says that they're not willing to compromise um, 
you know, on these issues to ensure that every school has a nurse and that every school has a social worker and that the the social workers and the nurses don't have huge caseloads of literally hundreds of kids. And, you know, they're not covering five schools in any given week. We're out of time here, but uh, journalists of the highest order such as yourself, see what I did there again? Um, Yeah, you did. The check's in the mail. What is your instinct? We're going to be here for a while? I I think so. Um, I think I was relatively hopeful over the weekend that maybe we're going to get a deal today or or yesterday. Um, But the fact that, um, you know, things have sort of ground to a halt over this, you know, class size issue, I think is is not great news. And let's not forget that Mayor Lori Lightfoot is about 24 hours before unveiling her 2020 budget. And she's going to tell us how she's going to cover a deficit somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, $800 million. Well, it's her fault. She wanted the job. <laughs> you think she's got a little bit of buyer's remorse? Oh, man. I'll tell you what, talk about thankless. Heather Sharon is the Daily Line's managing editor and City Hall reporter. Tell people where we find you. TheDailyLine.net. Sign up for our newsletter, and you will get all of this fantastic reporting right in your inbox every morning at 6.15. Thank you, Heather. Get real in the morning with Larry Potash, Robin Baumgarten, Paul Conrad, and the entire WGN-TV morning news team, weekdays, 4 to 10. Texters coming in. We'll get to these as time allows. But, Steve, you've been following the uh, ongoing question and answer going on with Jesse Sharkey. What are they saying? Yeah, this is their regular morning uh, news conference involving the teachers' union president. Uh, the uh, union president says that uh, the after the mayor said yesterday that we have nowhere else to go, that it left uh, sort of busted the balloon of all of the negotiating team on the teachers' side. Um, the uh, teachers' union president saying there's a difference between proposals being made and adequate proposals being made, uh, suggesting that what is being put in writing by the school district is not uh, does not address some of the core issues and as an example of that said that the teachers uh, school district has offered relief on class sizes for only about 15 percent of the problem classrooms that have been brought up no mention of high school class sizes at all so that gives you an indication of how far apart they are at least on the issue of class sizes and that kind of reinforces what heather yeah. sharon mm-hmm. said that this is not going to end today or tomorrow maybe the next day doesn't feel like it and uh, the uh, teachers union also says the the mayor's been critical that there's such a large bargaining team, um, but that uh, because I guess it's a 40-member bargaining team on behalf of the teachers, and some of those bargaining team members have been gone yesterday, and they'll be gone today, out with Elizabeth Warren, uh, uh, who's in town, as you heard earlier, uh, with the teachers, um, but that there is a core negotiating team that will always be at the table, so that that was a criticism that they felt was a little unfair. And also feel bad for the kids that are in regionals and sports as seniors, and those things are not going to be able to go on, and that's the end of their sports career in high school, and you don't get those back either. All right, we're back with the headlines next. president made his life more difficult this morning. I know a lot of you are saying, well, how's that possible? Here's a tweet. So someday, if a Democrat becomes president and the Republicans win the House even by a tiny margin, they can impeach the president without due process or fairness of any legal rights. All Republicans must remember what they are witnessing here, a lynching. But we will win. That's not going to help him with uh, African-American voters or moderates in either case. At 739, I want to say hi to my friend Mark Doyle. Mark is the proud proprietor, the innovator, the guy that started a little something called Rags of Honor in 1847. Um, Now, when was it? When did you start this? 18. 
1964. <laughs> it was a little bit later. <laughs> Let me give people a background here. Mark was a very successful forensic accountant. He said, how can I make my life more difficult? And he decided to go to Afghanistan. I'm not making this up. To go to Afghanistan. I remember the lunch you and I had. You said, dude, what would you think if I went to Afghanistan? I said, I think you should get to a doctor immediately, <laughs> and let's get you checked out. You went to Afghanistan. You lived in like a storage unit. I did. Shipping container, yeah. Of course, my favorite part of the story is when you arrived at the airport in Afghanistan, still in the middle of full combat at that point, and your driver didn't show up. No driver, right. Um, yeah. Five white guys um, at the... All look like you totally belong. totally belong This is in there. Kabul? In Kabul, yeah. yeah. Kabul? Kabul. Kabul. Kabul? Okay. Yeah. So you arrive in Kabul, you don't have a ride. It's hard to get an Uber. Uh, impossible to get an Uber. And the only reason we found the base five hours later is because I heard a guy walking by me who was a private security contractor with an Australian accent. I said, dude, we missed our ride. How do we get out of here? So he called his driver, who was an Egyptian, spoke no English. Mm-hmm. I gave him the equivalent of about $1,000. Right. And... And worth every penny, and by the way. And he just kept driving around town for hours and hours. And finally, by accident, we ran into a gate. I saw a U.S. soldier. And I said, I'm looking for the new Kabul compound. He said, well, you're right in front of it. This is it. Yeah. By accident. So you go, you survive that. Yeah. You go and you stay in the storage unit. Your perspective on the American war effort, I know, changed after that. You always support the soldiers. You always support uh, the idea of what we do abroad. However... And this is what, 2013? 2010. 10. Yeah. Uh, so in 2010, you came back with a different feel for this. And that different feel, you, I mean, you were very eloquent in a piece you wrote for the Chicago Tribune, laying out the fact that Afghanistan is a war that goes nowhere because they don't have a central taxation situation. Just the, I, To my knowledge, I'm the only one who's looked at it like that, but mm-hmm. I saw it in real time. When you have a civil society that cannot collect and dispense revenue, there's no prospect to build a formidable, informed, civil society. You can't pay for schools, fire, police, anything. When 85% of your GDP is donor GDP, mm-hmm. like it's $98 billion to date there, just in Afghanistan right. for the U.S. Right. There's no ability, there's no ADOT, like uh, Afghan Department of Transportation, so you, you can't repair the power grids when we built schools when we left 500 schools were destroyed right so there's no ability to have a sustained and there are literally roads that go nowhere factories that aren't plugged in all of that when we got there they one of the things that they decided to do the previous administration and it carried over it made some sense uh at the the time in the aggregate is to give intrastate commerce what we needed to do is make sure that we paved all the roads, right, so that people in Badakhshan could drive down to Masri Sharif and there could be some commerce. One of the byproducts of that was it used to take about four or five days to drive from Afghanistan, either through Torkhamskate over to Pakistan or way up through the north up into the other stands. And the, all the poppy in the world comes from Afghanistan. Right. Like 80% of the poppy in the world comes from right. Afghanistan. So. Uh, they would bring cement in from Pakistan because there were no cement factories. They would empty the cement trucks, fill them with heroin. Used to take four or five days. We cured that. Now you can get out in like four hours. Mm-hmm. So we increased the ability for them to transport drugs throughout across the region. Right. And every time we pulled out, all you saw was um, an increase in the amount of crime, a decrease in the amount of crime that got 
um, reported because there's just so much corruption. So I always thought we did it upside down, that we, we were forcing a billion dollars a month through uh, the pipeline in a place where people prior to that made like $5 a day. Sure. And until we had a rule of law, you weren't going to have a sustained civil society. So the money should have been spent creating a rule of law, magistrates, educating uh, at the local level, and then bring commerce in. But well, yeah, there's a great scene at the end of Charlie Wilson's War that you and I have talked about before. And it's a, if you leave the movie earlier, you're not paying attention. You miss the entire point of the film, where Tom Hanks and the role of uh, uh, Tom Hanks was it Tom? Yeah, yeah, it was Tom Hanks. And the role of Charlie Wilson has managed to end the Soviet Union such that it was, and then goes back and asks for money for schools. And it was schools? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah. It's over. We already got it. And because there were no schools built at the end of, quote, Charlie Wilson's war, that allowed al-Qaeda to uh, propagate. The Taliban had their way. Eventually, we get 9-11. We're where we are today. So based on what you know and what you've described, this war never ends. It's never going to end. And one of the distinctions here was that we weren't at war with the Afghans. We were invited by the Afghans. Remember, Karzai was our guy. And so we were invited this is wholly different than the Russians and from the Brits. Mm-hmm. The consequence is the same, though. When you have a country where about 10% use the banks, maybe 15% are literate, and you try and bring a westernized democracy into a country that's not ready for it, uh, I would argue that you're not going to get there. You're certainly not going to get there anytime soon. If you go Badakhshan, again, that's way up, like close to China. Okay. Their calendar is the year 1200. They're still on the calendar 1200. Even if you open a new account at the bank, it's Even still 1200? You open a new account at the right, bank. Right. Good news is rates are a lot cheaper. I'll bet, yeah. Uh, and no electricity. Wait, there are parts of the country that still don't have electricity. And, and, and it's not like they miss it. They've never had it. Never had it, and no reason to have it now. So when you have a tribal society like that in a mountainous area of the world, like almost no other, where people survive, live, and thrive on poppy and the ability to sell poppy, the idea that uh, a westernized culture would come in and decide, you, we're going to burn your poppy fields, we're going to do this, we're going to pave your roads, we're going to do that, that's not exactly something they'd welcome, right? When they've got the, To me, it's like the gang mentality. It's like a kid joins a gang because he needs a family. These tribes are a part of the Taliban because... We know who they are. They're local. They're telling us what we need to hear. They also play by a different set of rules. They, in Afghanistan, there is a thing called a night letter, that if you were in a local town that was working with the U.S. Army, for instance, to build a road or a bridge, and one of the, the coin, the counterinsurgency operation, was essentially reinvented in, Afghan, in uh, Iraq, where they would come in and say, we're going to give you a job to rebuild your city, mm-hmm. put down the gun, take off the uniform, go to work, support your family. They tried to implement it in Afghanistan. In some places it worked well, but in other places, these guys who ha- were Taliban two weeks ago were now working during the day to build a bridge, for instance. Right. But at night, they would get what's called a night letter. Tell us where the U.S. is going to be, or we're going to kill your family. And they mean it. And it happened right before I left. A group of seven Army, um, four infantry, five infantry guys, and I think a sergeant. Uh, we're bringing the money back to the local mullah to finish the job. It's like $70,000. They were taken out. And as they drive in, detonated, <laughs> killed, right? Because 
somebody had gotten a night ladder to say where are they going to be, and they put a pressure plated IED. So you can ride your bike over it, but when it gets to be heavy as a convoy, boom. And so they play by a different set of rules, and there's no way that's going to change because we don't go summarily in and just say, tell us where the Taliban are in your village, or we're going to kill you. Yeah, we don't know their rules, except their rules are play by their rules. They don't play by ours. So it's tough to sit down at alleged peace talks and agree. And that's why uh, this is a war we have no business being a part of. But that's also why you don't invite the Taliban to Camp David. There there really are no words to underscore the, the ridiculous nature of that offer, that you would offer to bring the Taliban to Camp David. Also have to remember that there's no incentive, even in Iraq, when Biden was the, still a chairman of foreign relations, he wanted to, to just create three regions in Iraq, right? the Shias, the Shiites, the Kurds, and the Sunnis, mm-hmm. and share the oil revenue, mm-hmm. right? Strong central government, loosely federated. There's no ability to do that in Afghanistan because they don't have any they don't have any inherent wealth. So there's no incentive for anybody other than to have power, which they're trying to do with the Taliban now. But the U.S. is being so prescriptive and keeping the Afghan government out of it. Now the Afghan people are saying you're siding with the Taliban. So there, it's just no easy way to get this thing to go. It is a hot, hot mess, and uh, it doesn't get cleared up in a day or in a meeting or, or anything else. Now, having said that, set that as a background. That partly is why you led to Rags of Honor. When we come back, tell me a little bit more about Rags of Honor and what you're going to do to raise money next. Roger that. Uh, Mark Doyle, he's broke, <laughs> so you don't have to be, so he can help others. All right, so Rags of Honor is what? Nope, you need a mic. Rags of Honor is what? Rags of Honor is an apparel company that I started um, at the F- when I came back from the aforementioned trip to Afghanistan. We hire homeless and at-risk veterans. We're a custom shop. We do a lot of work for people all around town. We do a line for the Chicago Blackhawks, who we love. And we have an e-commerce store. You can come and buy hoodies, ball caps, knit caps, T-shirts. And it's high-quality stuff, kids. All made in America. I've spent my money there. Ragsofhonor.org. It really is good stuff and cool logos and, and all that. And as you said, a custom shop. So if companies want to uh, get involved with logoed stuff, you can pull that off as Absolutely. well. And these homeless vets then are given an opportunity to get back on their feet. How many are working for you now? We have a full-time between all three ventures, uh, probably about nine or ten. Mm-hmm. We've hired 85 along the way over the last five years. And, and the other two ventures are beer? R&R Brews, which my beautiful wife Kip started, and Veteran Roasters, coffee Cup of company. Joe, our coffee company, which she also started with Brandon Marty. And if you go to ragsofhonor.org, it's all linked through there. It's all linked through there, yep. Okay. What's Jump for Vets? Jump for Vets is an event I started last year as a way to call attention to a veteran suicide epidemic, which still exists Uh most of your listeners know this because you all here are so good about staying focused on veteran issues. But every day, to this day, 22 veterans take their own life. Every day. It's outrageous. So, listeners, by tomorrow at this point, at this time tomorrow morning, 22 will have taken their own day. So I said, let's do an event that is fun and pushes us a little bit beyond our limits, and let's raise money for a specific procedure that we fund called a stellate ganglion block, which is an outpatient procedure which quite literally cures PTS. And so the Jump for Vets is an event where we come out. They'll pay for that. And we pay for it. That's what I mean. That's pay right. for that so all the money that we raise. So you jump 2,200 jumps in about an hour. That's 100 jumps 
for every veteran suicide. And to the people listening who say, God, that's pretty hard to do. You know what's hard to do is be homeless. You know what's hard to do is to be shell-shocked and to be in 10 firefights and come home and not know if you're going to live another day. So I would say anybody out here thinks they can't do it, they'll be surprised. It's, you can do it. And by the way... I don't care if you can't do it. If you can't do it, that's not the point. The point is come by and support the cause and do whatever you can. Jump in place. You yes. don't have to jump the rope, right? Yeah, exactly. And is your friend Catalin hosting? Catalin from Pow Gym Chicago is going to host it and run it. She is one of the premier trainers, boxers, mixed martial artists in Chicago, as you all know. She could kill me with her bare hands. She literally could. Yeah, I asked her not to. <laughs> this is Sunday, November 10th, and it's a quick event. Starts at what time? Starts at 9, doors open around 8.30. I think we go from 9 to 10. The Blackhawks, as always, are our host. I got 9 to 10.30 here, so let's stretch them out. Let's, maybe I should read my own flyer <laughs> one of these days, right? <laughs> shocking that I'm not a millionaire, isn't it? It's shocking. So, shocking that you're hiding it. Yeah. Uh, 9 a.m. to 10.30, Sunday, November 10th. This is the atrium at the United Center. Yep. Impossible not to find. Impossible not to find. We're going to have a DJ spinning live tunes. We have coffee and donuts uh, provided by the Levy Company out there, and water for everybody, and a jump rope for everybody, and a T-shirt for everybody. And all you got to do is raise twenty-two bucks. That's the minimum is twenty-two bucks. Yeah. Raise as much as you want. Yeah, exactly. But I'm but, saying the minimum is twenty-two dollars. Yep. Go to ragsofhonor.org. You, can you supply jump ropes. We do. Okay. But you don't have to use the rope. You do not have. That's a great point. You do not have to use no. the rope. Jump you up and down. Jump, jump. jump around. Can't, I can't jump. Jump on around. Ropes. Yeah, just jump around. Right. That's three minutes. So we jump for three minutes. We take a break. Get some water. Stretch out. Jump for another three minutes. So it's not as hard as it seems. Have you uh, taken to heart my idea for the middle-aged man challenge, where you have a nice, comfortable chair, you get out of the chair, you go to a fake refrigerator, you get a snack out, you go back to the chair, you find the remote, and you doze off? Because I think there's some money to be raised. You there. just described my workout, so thank you for that. Yeah, <laughs> and I am, I can make it to that fake refrigerator and back now in like under eight seconds. Well, your timing's strong. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, for more information, ragsofhonor.org. Yes, sir. Rags of Everything's right there. Everything things right there plan on it sunday november 10th that's veterans day weekend jump for vets at the united center atrium and we are back with the news from the northwestern medicine newsroom next ladies and gentlemen dean richards joins us from channel nine citizens of the world some of the world's greatest entertainers are here tonight ladies and gentlemen may i present to you and tonight guess what it's going to be seen To Channel 9, our world traveler, Dean Richards, is standing by. Good morning, Dean. Back in Chicago. Back home where I belong. How is New York? It's lovely. Uh, uh, you know, autumn in New York is beautiful. Uh, it is, and you get less of the summer smells. Very true. The cooler weather means uh, that the garbage is not uh, humming <laughs> as much as it normally does. And remember, the fall, if you time it right in New York, you can be there when the hot dog carts change their water. They do it twice a year, once in the spring whether and they, once in the fall. Whether they need to or not. Right. That's right. That's what I'm saying. The uh, the rats are carrying uh, multicolored uh, pizza slices. Mm-hmm. Packs of cigarettes. And Anybody ever thought about an off-Broadway rat musical where the rats would be taught to sing and dance? That would be genius. Right. Someone would do that. You are a thinker. Not you're, my first day. You're an idea machine. Uh, Facts of Life, HBO, Star Wars, Days of Our Lives, uh, all coming up. But who'd you talk to in New York? Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. What's his real name? Bob Smith. <laughs> 
what, what's it? What's uh, what was Mitt Romney's Twitter name? Oh yeah, Pierre. Pierre Defecto or De- something? Pierre Delecto. Delecto. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, no, Benedict Cumberbatch, who is a very very nice uh, person, at a chat with him. And Too thin. Needs a sandwich. Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't get that impression. Oh, you didn't him. think so? Okay. Yeah, didn't get that. Well, you were in a room with him. I wasn't. Yeah, I can't. Read. It's pretty hard for me to call anybody too thin. I like how I turned into a Jewish grandmother for yeah, Benedict coming. Yeah, hey, eat thin. something. Here, have a kugel. <laughs> Uh, I don't know him, not met him. I'm taking your word for it, as I do on all things. Uh, You like him. Very, very nice uh, man. And uh, also Michael Shannon, Chicago's uh, very own, who uh, is an ensemble member at the Red Orchid Theater in Old Town, who's always, uh, like John Malkovich, I'm a little afraid to look him right in the eye. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a scary dude. I'm afraid he's going to steal my soul if I look uh, directly into his eyes. Well, I saw him kill a man with his bare hands. I I witnessed it. Yeah, not a bit surprised at that. (laughs) But uh, they play, uh, Shannon plays George Westinghouse, and uh, Cumberbatch plays Thomas Edison. Uh, at the early uh, days of electricity, when electricity was first invented, were they really friends or colleagues? Or, or? they were? They were. Uh, uh, I guess you might say enemies, rivals. Uh, th- this is a, a true story. Rivals. Uh, Westinghouse wanted his system of electricity to be used to distribute electricity around the country. The alternating current, Steve. He was the AC man, and. Uh, uh, Thomas Edison wanted his method, the direct current method, dis- to distribute electricity around America. And this movie is about that rivalry. AC versus DC. Right, right. It's just, again, I have no idea how they got this thing funded, but it turns out to be a good film, actually. It's, a, it's actually a very interesting film. It was originally re- going to be released in 2017. The film was too long. I mean, they, they realized that they needed to still do some work on this. So the director went back. He cut about a half an hour out of the film. So this movie is now called The Current War, uh, The Director's Cut. Because it's a, a new version of the whole thing, and it's it's actually very very interesting. And uh, well, the same people that bought this movie, I am pitching them, and you, you and I are involved in this, on a movie about the history of shoe eyelets. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, because it wasn't always a time where you could just thread your shoelaces so easily. That's right. There was a big war between uh, uh, Jimmy Eyelet <laughs> was his name. Right, right, right. And, and the people that wanted to stop him, the Slip-On people. Right. Well, there, there were the there was uh, Johnny Slip-On. <laughs> But right, all, right, also right, right, right. U- Ulysses S. Velcro. <laughs> he was the worst. He was the worst. Uh, and, uh, you know, so that it also has some potential. This movie is interesting. You know, there there was uh, a guy named, uh, th- th- this is all true story also, Nikolai Tesla was involved in this In rivalry. that same era. He, well, he was uh, first worked for Edison, okay, and then uh, tried to to go out on his own, and then worked for uh, Westinghouse. And he invented electric horse buggies before he uh, invented uh, the electric car. <laughs> All right, so when we come back. I want to hear a little bit of you talking to the Cumberbatch. And by the way, that's how he likes to be referred to, the Cumberbatch. Right. You'll be calling his name. Uh oh, uh oh, uh oh, uh oh. The music of John DeCoss. John will be with us on, uh, I don't know, some point this way is tomorrow. John will be in tomorrow. Contributing. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> All right, so we're talking about Benedict Cumberbatch playing Thomas Edison. Yes. 
And when is this movie out? Uh, it's going to come out on Friday. Uh, Cumberbatch has uh, played, well, Sherlock Holmes, of course. He's played Julian Assange. He uh, played, uh, what was the, that movie, uh, The Imitation Game, in which he played uh, the real-life guy who uh, oh, the code cracked the, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the Nazi code. Uh, Alan Turing. That's it. Was, was that his name? Very so, impressive. Turing. Turing. Yeah, Turing. Alan Turing. Very yeah. impressive. So he, uh, you know, he's played uh, real life uh, people before, and I wondered, you know, if there was uh, a difference or special challenge to that. This isn't the first time that you've played real life people. Is there a difference when you play somebody who actually existed versus somebody who is fictitious? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and no as well. I guess um, you know Edison's pretty iconic um so there's that thing of what can we bring to the story that's behind closed doors or, or to do with the person that was private um rather than the public presentation of him and, and what we know about him from wikipedia and deeper um and there's often a responsibility especially that person is alive to somehow um, be protective of the legacy but also investigate it and and not be shy of of ugly truths as well as the things worth celebrating that character but then again with a fictional icon you've got a huge fan base often that are far more equipped to tell you how to do the job than you are i think you know being part of the the marvel universe uh he's you know probably has fans coming up to him all the time now, you know, that button does not go there. Sure. And he would never wipe his nose with his uh, left hand. He would use his right hand. And why is the proper British accent so fascinating? Because if he had said word for word that answer in this voice, well, yeah, sure, it's harder as <laughs> hell to play the other way. <laughs> it would not nearly have been as appealing. Very captivating about all of that. So, all right, uh, Days of Our Lives story. Yeah, this uh, story just broke a few minutes ago. Uh, actor John Clark who uh, was a longtime actor on Days of Our Lives. He played Mickey Horton on the show, uh, passed away. He started on Days of Our Lives in 1965. Wow. And uh, stayed uh, on the show until 2004, where his health took a turn for the worse. But uh, this morning, uh, died from complications of pneumonia, 88 years old. Pretty good run. Uh, Tickets for the final Star Wars out? Yeah, this was uh, a big deal. If uh, you were watching uh, Monday Night Football last night, you saw the final trailer for the final Star Wars movie, the the Star Wars saga, the original uh, saga. So this will be the ninth of nine movies of that saga. All right, now I forgot where we are because there's about 47 filler movies (laughs) in between. Is this the one where the last scene of the movie that's supposedly previous to this is Luke standing on a cliff? And at the end of the movie... Right, and Iron Man dies. And, <laughs> and Iron Man smashes into the cliff. Spoiler alert. But is that the one with Luke? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, it, <laughs> it's hard to know. Because <laughs> there was that scene reveal at the end where you go, who's right. the guy in the hood? And takes and the hood down and it's old Luke. Mm-hmm. It's old Luke. And he's in a seaside hut. Right. And he's on a cliff. Right. He's at a and b in Saugatuck. <laughs> Who would have known he was into beating? Who knew an Airbnb would last that long <laughs> into the future? All right. So that is the movie that precedes so this, this movie. This now picks it up with, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the new cast, uh, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, uh, Oscar Isaac uh, are the, the the primary characters now, but wait, is John Boyega the same one from the Waltons? John Boyega is the same one from the Waltons. Yes, he is. Um, Remember at the end they go, "Good night, John Boyega." 
Remember that? I remember that. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you don't have to. You're not old enough. Neither do I. I'm too young. <laughs> um, yeah, so, uh, we, but we're also going to get some Billy D. Williams uh, in this one. Oh, yeah. We're going to get, uh, there is footage that was already shot of um, Carrie Fisher, uh, obviously, prior to her Aww. passing away that will be incorporated into this as well. Uh, the the new trailer is uh, we, we've got it up at wgntv.com slash Dean's List if you want to take a look at the whole thing. I actually teared up. I'm not kidding. I am. Uh, I, I didn't think I was as big of a Star Wars nerd as I apparently am. That I had goosebumps watching it, and at the end, I'm sitting here tearing up like a big baby. Hmm. Wow! In the trailer, even. Yeah. Wow. It's very emotional. But uh, tickets- what makes you more teary? Uh, stories about clowns or this? <laughs> Mm, clowns. Okay. Uh, uh, but tickets went on sale. The The movie's not going to open until December 20th. Uh, but tickets went on sale uh, last night through all the online places where you can buy movie tickets. So if you're interested, 59 days. Every single day I'll have a new story about Star Wars and beat this into the ground uh, before the movie opens up. We'd expect nothing less. Dina's story uh, is a story on the HBO Finding Neverland lawsuit as well on TV this morning. But if I said to you, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have, what would you say? The facts of life. The facts of life. The facts of life. They're doing a reunion show? The facts of life. They are doing a reunion movie, a TV movie on Lifetime. Uh, It's not going to be uh, them as their former characters, Blair, Tootie, Natalie, and Joe. Which, by the way, is the names of everybody on this show. The rest of our names are show business names, and my real name is Tootie. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that about Steve. Tootie Cochran. Mm -hmm. Tootie Fruity. Right, Tootie Fruity Cochran. That's me. That's me. (laughs) He was uh, named Tootie uh, Tootie by uh, some of his coworkers back in the day because of his flatulence problems. That was at the loop. (laughs) That he had. Bonaducci. Bonaducci named me that at the loop. What about the fruity? Um, So uh, they're all going to get together. Lisa Welchel, Kim Fields, Mindy Cohn, Nancy McKeon. uh, They're all going to play different characters in what is, uh, I'm told, is a true story about a woman who teaches her town the importance of the holidays. But they'll all be together. And there's supposed to be some little uh, tip of the hat to uh, actress Charlotte Ray, who played Mrs. Garrett on the show, who passed away. They're going to have like a little little, uh, special salute to her woven into the script it's going to be on lifetime uh, december 1st will they have the maid alice back or not so much how about tiger the dog i think you might be thinking about a different uh, show. Mm, i gotta pay you know attention. what everybody's asking no because uh, george clooney did two seasons yeah will he be on on facts of life will will he be on the show is the big question nobody knows that steve mm. well you get back to me when nobody you're not doing a star that. wars story nobody knows that tootie uh, exactly call me tootie uh thank you buddy yep. we're coming back with your headlines next holy mata the uh breakfast of the blackhawk just after 9 o'clock, Big O2, and Rich McHugh, former NBC producer, worked with Ronan Farrow on the Spike story of the Me Too movement, all coming up. Time now for the headline. Good morning, Adam Hogue. Good morning. How are you, sir? I am good. How about you guys? We're doing fine. Dave, say hi to Adam Hogue. Hi, Adam Hogue. Gee, say hi to Adam Hogue. Hi, Adam Hogue. All right, now that we got the pleasantries out of the way, um, the Chicago Bears looked awful. Are they curable? Ooh. Uh, I think their offense might not be, uh, at least not this season. <laughs> there, there's very little little evidence to suggest that their offense is going to turn this around. Now, 
Can they do enough to stay afloat and ride that defense and maybe contend? Uh, maybe, but this road to the playoffs in the NFC, even if all that happens, is very, very tough. I mean, if you're not going to win your division, this might be a year where you have to have 11 wins to get into the yeah. playoffs as a wild card team. And the road to 11 wins right now with the schedule the Bears have, that means they can only lose two more times. Yeah, eight out of the last 10. Those are strong words from Adam Hug. Well, Dave, you know what? It's kind of like standing outside the waiting room and the doctor comes out and lays it on the line, don't gives think you the bad news. Don't think the Bears are going to make it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, but, but if you – because I was looking at the standings yesterday, and it's true, you're only six games into this, but – well, I mean, at this point, Green Bay's six and one. I know they got to go on the road for a bunch now, and you do have another game with them. And Minnesota's at five and two, but you look around the other divisions. I mean, Philadelphia looked bad the other night against Dallas, but I, I think most people have kind of figured there'd be a wild card team out of the East, and and the the NFC West looks brutal with San Francisco and Seattle and the Rams duking it out. I mean, the numbers don't bode well for the Bears in terms of, but I almost think Adam, you're not at that point yet. I mean, you have to right now. You can't even talk about finding a path to the postseason because you got to figure out a way to beat the Chargers on Sunday and and then go out on the road and, and go from there. Well, and more importantly, inside your own building, you have uh, some cracks in the foundation right now that are starting to develop, and a head coach that I think is desperately trying to put it all back together and make sure that those cracks don't turn into you know this season really getting away from uh, from them because he brought it up himself after the game on Sunday that when you when you start to have a situation like this where one side of the football is playing well and the other just can't move the ball at all you know you start to get some finger pointing going on and and that's only nat- that's human nature and we talked about that after the Raiders game a few weeks ago as well so um, I, I was very very disappointed in how they came out considering these are the same conversations we had after they lost to the Raiders and I thought after a bye we would learn a lot about this team and a lot about Matt Nagy and how he could rally the troops. And for them to come out against the Saints and look that unbelievably flat from the very start and that incompetent on offense, it's very, very concerning. And big picture-wise, I don't know I don't know if we're at the point where we're doubting Matt Nagy, the head coach. I'm sure some fans are doing that right now. But I certainly have questions about Matt Nagy, the offensive mind, and even more questions about where this quarterback is headed because that right now seems to be the biggest problem. What happened to all the fun from last year, like the Willy Wonka stuff? And- That's over. <laughs> yeah, so I no mean, more fun. I mean, there was a little bit of kind of uh, daring in the offense. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Dave, because I think I'm actually going to write about that this week. Um, the guy they called Swaggy Naggy. Mm-hmm. Where's the swagger? Yep. The, the, and, and I'm talking about both in his play calling and just around the team. You know, like it, it just it has disappeared, and that happens when you're losing. But there's no swagger in the way he's calling plays, the way this offense is moving. And I think though that goes back to the quarterback. I'm really worried that the Green Bay Packers broke Mitch Trubisky in Week One. I go back to that game, and you had. Eight months leading up to it, all the hype, and a quarterback, a young quarterback that really, I think, believed he was going to take the next step. Do you think he has post-traumatic Packers disorder? Something like that. Is is he still under warranty, though? (laughs) (laughs) So he has PTPD. I saw a guy that walked up to the podium after that game and just looked crushed. 
that looked like he had the confidence just vacuumed right out of him. And he's not having fun right now. You talk about the swagger with Matt Nagy. What happened to the guy that was walking up to the podium and Mike Ditka closed last year and, yeah. and after, at Halloween and the Christmas sweater after they won the division against the Packers? And it's easy to do that stuff when you're winning, but I just don't see a guy with confidence right now, and I think it's affecting him on the football field. Well, here's the deal. I mean, this is true of talent, period. If you're in show business, and everybody is that's currently in this conversation, you have to have people on the air, uh, on the field, on stage, on TV, who feel good about themselves and feel like they're getting it done. If he's questioning himself, they got to work between the ears before they can fix anything on the field. Oh, absolutely. And I and I think that that's where it's at right now. But other things Matt Nagy can do... Might, trade that, for another quarterback? Well, un, there's a lot of complications there. I can give you a name if you really want me to. Cam Newton? No, the only one I would at, I would consider right now, and I, I it's probably not even possible, but it would be Marcus Mariota, who's been benched in Tennessee, who Ryan Pace liked mm-hmm. coming out of Oregon. And Interesting. Who's, whose head coach at Oregon was Mark Helfrich, mm-hmm. currently the Bears' offensive coordinator. The problem there... What if we get is, him, like, uh, free shed tickets or something? We'll throw that in. Yeah, throw <laughs> that in the deal. But he's owed, he's still owed $20 million Ooh. as a cap hit this year, and the Bears only have $18 million in cap space. That's a lot. So the math doesn't really work. Yeah. Has, Adam, has there been any talk, and, and I like David Montgomery. I think he's going to be a heck of a player, but... But obviously, if they ran the ball seven times on Sunday, has there been any whisper that that somehow not having Jordan Howard has affected the running game? Well, I I think it has a little bit. I certainly there's. I don't think there's been a whisper with the Bears. But as I look at things, I do think in some ways they missed the guy that you could just hand the ball off. To kind of like a bowling ball, and he would just run forward and pick up three, you know, three yards when there wasn't much there. Um, that being said, I mean these issues run so deep that I don't think Jordan Howard. I, I honestly, they're they're missing Jordan Howard more as a pass protector, as a blitz pick guy, yeah. guy picking up blitzes than than they are anything else. But like that run to Anthony Miller the other day, the sweep where he fumbled the ball. You know, last year they ran that play against the Bills, and Jordan Howard was blocking, not David Montgomery. But Trey Burton also made his block in that game last year. Nobody blocked the guy on the outside this time around. So there's just one-man breakdowns, it seems like, on every yeah, single run Dude, missed, missed assignments is coaching. Missed assignments, you know, so who's failing outside of Matt Nagy? Well, and I agree. I think when it gets to this point where they're just – there's this many breakdowns, and it's across different. You say who's to blame other than Matt Nagy from a coaching standpoint? I see issues with the running backs blocking. I see issues with the tight ends blocking, and I see issues with the offensive line blocking. So it's all of those position coaches right there, and, and, and they all, I mean, collectively as an offensive staff, need to shoulder some of this. No blame. kidding. It's not just the players. All right, so uh, we can read all of your knowledge. Where Adam Hogue? WGNRadio.com slash Bears. And when will Adam Hogue be on the road next? For Adam Hogue on ice, Adam Hogue's one-man show in the theater. When will that happen? Uh, we got a double show in a couple weeks, right, Dave? Uh, we're in yeah. uh, Bloomington, Indiana, and then mm-hmm. the tour moves to Philadelphia the next day. Yeah, how about that? And, and it's a night game in Bloomington. I'm sure you've heard that. 
Uh, have not, but thanks for. Uh, oh, you had not heard that? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to brighten your morning. Two words: charter. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's happening. Is that in the budget? Is that in the budget, guys? By the, no charter. Oh. I meant a bus. Yeah, I think oh, okay. his line is breaking up now. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Anyway, I love what Adam Hogue does uh, for us and and on the NFL. He's one of the best in the business. Period. Yep. And I highly recommend you, uh, football fans, and those of you who aren't even football fans, read up on him, follow him. And uh, and you'll get uh, you'll be you'll, you're, frankly you'll be a better person you'll be a more well rounded individual mm-hmm. if you follow Adam. I Hogue. keep telling G that. Oh, I do. I read that entire article, the really long one. <laughs> <laughs> the really long one. <laughs> Thank you, Adam Hogue. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. See you later. That was Adam Hogue. It's uh, eight forty seven, and I got a bunch of text to catch up on. All you guys have a lot to say about the school strike and uh, teacher strike, I should say. And uh, uh, we'll get to that coming up. Oh, and you know what else I have? Who wants to go to the Meekum Auto Auction? Raise your hand. Me, me, me. A uh, pair of tickets to the Meekum Chicago 2019 Auto Auction taking place this weekend. That's Thursday through Saturday at the Renaissance Schaumburg Convention Center. World's largest collector car auction company. A thousand American muscle cars. Classics. Ve- Excuse me. I hiccuped right in the middle of that. <laughs> that really Vets, trucks, hot rods, and more to be consigned what? for sale. Let me see if I can time this out so Do I, I don't say... hiccup again during the break. Oh, what Do you I say bless you or something? Um, you're supposed died? to scare me. Visit Meekum.com for details. Should we wait for another one? or should... No, that was not. Was there a taste involved with that? Or... No, just a hiccup. Seventh caller, 312-981-7200 is the number. If you want those Meekum Auto Auction tickets, you can go right there. We caught one there right now. <laughs> Back with the hiccups and more in a moment on 720 WGN. Mary? Up on Eden's up to 34 minutes to Lake Cook Road. Inbound 20. The Kennedy is down to about 50 in both directions between O'Hare and downtown. Inbound Eisenhower is about an hour from 390 for Mannheim. 34 minutes. Outbound worse, 42. Heading out to Mannheim. Stevenson inbound 46 from the Tri-State. Hour 5 from 355. The Ryan 20 from 95th. Very slow Lakeshore Drive from Lawrence to Belmont. Accident 355 northbound at 22nd in the left lane. For personalized traffic on demand, get the Traffic Chicago app approved by the mortgage experts of Team Hockberg. Just search T-R-A-F-F-I-X Chicago. I'm Mary Vandeveld from the IDOT Traffic Center reminding you to drive responsibly. It really is a matter of life or death. Neiman Marcus has released their holiday fantasy gift guide for 2019. We'll tell you all the fun things that you can't afford at 11.05. It's us, Bill and Wendy, this morning at 10. Like drinking and driving, getting behind the wheel after the use of marijuana is dangerous. Driving under the influence of marijuana puts the driver, passengers, and others on the road at risk. The drug driver has impaired judgment, alertness, and concentration. Marijuana can slow your reaction time and the ability to make decisions, disrupt your focus, and impair depth perception. All skills required to drive safely. For more information on drug driving, visit communityallianceforprevention.org. This is happening. I'm sitting at my standing desk, not necessarily looking at celebrity gossip, when Kevin bursts in. The new homepage module is supposed to go live this month, Deirdre, and the dev team's backed up for weeks. Kevin's solution is to sweat through his shirt. I hop on Upwork and hire a web dev agency with a flawless success rating. Because the new module will be getting done. And thanks to Upwork, this is happening. Oh, you've got this under control. Oh, Kevin. As a matter of fact, I do. Upwork. Hire freelancers. Make things happen. Randview buys homes. Hi, I'm Tom Detlich. Grandview has been helping families who want to sell their home for over a decade now. Grandview is different than using a real estate agent to sell your home. We buy the home directly from you in as little as 10 days. I can share countless stories of families who had it difficult to sell home 
and were so stressed they didn't even know where to begin. With Grandview, the process is simple and stress-free. Contact us for a brief and private appointment at your home, then get your fair cash offer in as little as 24 hours. It's that simple. As the largest direct home buyer in Chicagoland, you can trust us to treat your situation with dignity and respect. Our highly trained team knows their job is to buy your home and solve your problem. Grandview buys homes as is, no matter the condition of the property. You don't need to do any repairs, not even a clean-out. Just leave the stress and the mess to us. So call us at 630-506-8282. That's 630-506-8282. Or visit us at grandviewhomes.com. Hi, my name's Christina Stumble, and I own Farm Girl Flowers in San Francisco. With my Spark Cash Card from Capital One, I earn unlimited 2% cash back on all my business purchases. Last year, I redeemed $115,000 in cash back. Yeah, $115,000. And that doubled our digital marketing budget for the summer. Thanks to my Spark Card, we had our best summer yet. Imagine what the Spark Card from Capital One could do for your business. What's in your wallet? Real Capital One customers pay for real stories. Credit approval required. Be prepared for whatever Mother Nature throws at you this winter with a new train furnace from App. Train, T-R-A-N-E, furnaces combine renowned reliability with energy efficiency, which saves you on heating costs, will give you the peace of mind that they'll work through the roughest winter. <coughs> Excuse me. Plus, you're going to get installation from App's own certified techs, all available 24-7 emergency support when it matters the most. Go to Apt. Or call them at 847-544-2284. You can learn about the full lineup. You can also go to app.com and see what Train does right there. App-pleasing people since 1936. I don't know why I'm surprised every year when winter shows up. It's just... It's not new. But, like, you know, I, I wore shorts Sunday, and I'm thinking, well, this will be the last time I wear shorts this year. <laughs> it's still hard. Every time it happens, it's hard. <clears> hmm. <throat> doesn't matter but it happens every year i know but you know it's still you don't really ever get used to it but it comes in you know it's it's like the five stages of grief mm-hmm. i'm not quite at acceptance yet <laughs> like this morning it was cold enough to wear a windbreaker like this coat i have on and i decided that uh well there you go that's another step that's another step to the end the now, end being winter anger anger is coming as well right yeah well there, let's see it's 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 uh it denial mm-hmm I, I was in denial. That's why I wear shorts on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, anger, like I'm annoyed that I can only wear shorts one more time. Um, uh, bargaining, that means well, maybe I'll have another chance. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, oh, oh, depression, depression. I'm really sad that I can't wear shorts anymore. Oh, and then acceptance. Yes. It's winter. Denial, isolation, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Yep. You're right. Well, you added one. You but you, al- you also need to find some of the positives that come with this. Like, for instance, one of the things that I do to make it make myself feel better is um, you can go to bed earlier now. Because mm. uh, in the summertime, when it's still light at 9 o'clock at night, it's so hard to go to bed. Yeah. I love sweaters. I love fall. <laughs> I love boots, like tall boots. Me too. We but I don't to love the, cool the static stuff. electricity, but I love like a cozy sweater and then like a nap on the couch with a blanket. I don't Snuggling. feel. Listen, I don't feel enough like a child going to bed at eight o'clock now. So <laughs> I love soups and chili and casseroles. Yeah, I love being fifty-eight and having a bedtime. A hot chocolate and a hot toddy, even better. Yeah. Texas continue to pound in uh, at three one two nine eight one seventy two hundred on the teacher strike. 
Uh, here's a few of these from the 708. How can class size be guaranteed when buildings don't have enough classrooms? Sometimes there's a flux of sixth graders and the number grows to over 30, but not enough to warrant another teacher and there isn't space in the building. This is a common issue. I would say, Steve, that that's one of the big questions that has to be resolved in how do you enforce a blanket agreement when schools are different? Yeah, that's a tough one. I think, uh, you know, when you have an, is- an issue like the one that you just described there, perhaps you lower the class sizes of the re- other classes that you're involved with and then create that additional class. And so all of the classes are smaller. That might be one way to deal with that, as opposed to just having a class of six kids in it. Um, but you're right. It, 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 you know, the staffing issues are different at every school. And that's a struggle for anybody who's trying to put something in writing on that. 312, what are high school kids going to do when they get to college and they have 300 kids in class? The the class size thing is not about the kids being stressed out about the size of the class. It's about the teachers being able to actually teach your kids when class sizes get too big. 847, maybe just maybe the teachers realized that Elizabeth Warren was coming in and that'd be great for national exposure. And they decided not to make any more progress. Well, that's probably the best conspiracy theory of the day. Chalk that one up. Is she in town yet, uh, Steve Duena? Uh I don't know if she's in town yet. I don't know her sp- specific uh, schedule, but she is scheduled. I thought you shot her with a tranquilizer gun no, so you can track her. And I'm always hesitant to give the exact movements of, of some of these high-profile sure. people because you don't want nuts going out and doing something. But um, she is supposed to be here mid-morning at one of the schools at uh, DePriest Elementary. 815, does the mayor's daughter attend a Chicago public school? Just wondering. I don't know the answer to that. Anybody on the show know the no, answer to that? I don't know either. No. Yeah. 773, maybe 2% a year raises. The rest of the money goes for the social issues the teacher or fi- teachers are fighting for. I think the money's agreed on. It's just yeah. a question of whether or not the social issue thing uh, it has a place in a discussion like this. Yeah. It's never been about the salary for the teachers. And uh, 847, how about taking the empty classrooms and the declining enrollment schools, making them living quarters for the homeless? And they can stay as long as their child attends school. Possible subsidies for food from the government would engage the community. It's not the worst idea I've ever heard. You know? Taking these empty school buildings and actually uh, refurbing them uh, for homeless students and other folks. They said some of the uh, other issues that still need to be addressed, other than the class size and staffing or wages for the district's um, support staff as well. And then for some of the veteran teachers. 773, I've never heard this. Uh, can you explain why some of the CPS money goes to Naperville School District? That can't be true. Why would CPS money go to the Burbs? Mm. That's probably a confusion about the allocation of funds and how um, wealthy suburban uh, schools uh, maybe are getting more than the fair share, in quotes, that schools in the city should get. I don't know what else it would be. Yeah, I don't know how any of uh, Chicago money would end up in a, in a suburban school district. That doesn't seem right. And 815, I'm on the side of the kids. Fall sport athletes, especially high school seniors who've now lost their season. AP students who start with almost a month less of instruction before the exam due to the CPS start date. Stop telling me it's about the students when the union is trying to legislate social policy. Uh, 312-981-7200. Coming back. All right. Uh, coming up next hour, Rich McHugh. Rich, a big shot producer at uh, NBC and resigned NBC News because he felt that he and Ronan Farrell were lied to about the Harvey Weinstein Me Too story and whether or not they could go forward with it when they were told to, to stand down. We'll get to that coming up. <laughs> And this Sunday is Hockey Fights Cancer Night at the United Center. 
Uh, and you're invited, of course, to get some tickets or contribute online. Amy kicks off with uh, Eddie Olchek, a cancer survivor, and the Hockey Fights Cancer uh, Ambassador and forward Adam Burris hosting the Purple Carpet at the United Center. It starts as early as 345. Atrium doors open at 234 in the event. And again, follow this all at uh, ChicagoBlackhawks.com. Blackhawks.com. First 10,000 fans get an Eddie Olchek bobblehead. And Eddie, of course, is a uh, friend of the show and uh, one of your great Blackhawks of all time. Now, uh, Dave, you know this. When I was in Prague, what did I tell you when I came back? I said, yeah, of course I wish we'd beaten the Flyers. But holy mata, this guy's excited. You did. He's that was the everywhere. First, he was the first player whose name you mentioned to me. Everywhere. Well, he's standing behind the phone right now just to prove he's everywhere. He, he everywhere. joins us now for breakfast with the Blackhawks. Good morning, Ole. Good morning, guys. You are one fast dude. At one point, I looked to my left. He was sitting next to me. <laughs> he's just everywhere. Uh, listen, I think you're a great addition to the team, and uh, I love the fact that you've got that hockey instinct. you got that puck knowledge. You seem to know where you need to be. Well, that's a big part of the game, I guess. Like you look at the you look at the best players in the league. That's uh, that's something they do, um, and it really really helps you. you. You kind of keep focusing on that and trying to position yourself really well on the ice. It helps you so much. Now, when you were on the Penguins, you and Phil Kessel. I mean, you had a, 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 something in common. You probably didn't want. You're both cancer survivors. You want that part, but not the cancer. <laughs> yeah, you definitely didn't want that. So, uh, tell me about your journey, your story. Well, yeah, I was. Uh, that was my second year, and I was really coming after after first year. Really excited to get the second year going, and um, you, you know, just trying to build build on the good first year I had. And then in a uh, team physical before a year, I found out I got a little lump in my neck, and um, and uh, we really didn't think anything out of it. But I ended up getting some more tests done, and it uh, ended up being a tumor, and it was uh, in my thyroid, and uh, that kind of that kind of scared me a little bit. And of course. Doing work there always, uh, it, it's never easy, but I was, I was really lucky with it. I, mine was found really early. Um, there was, it was pretty much an easy protocol and easy procedure we did. And I was in and out. I was out for three weeks of hockey, and after that I was done and back, back playing. So I was really lucky, but it really got um, – it really got me some perspective what people are going through. I, I think how lucky I was. Like I, I can just imagine what it, um, other people are going through with more serious types of uh, types of cancers. Well, it has to be a, a, a great feeling for you to be part of uh, Hockey Fights Cancer Night coming up this Sunday, and and also to be here coming from a franchise where you had success. Uh, a two-time Stanley Cup champion to a, a franchise where you're playing with guys who who certainly know that feeling. Do you see some some similarities between the guys you played with in Pittsburgh who had success and won Stanley Cups and the guys you're playing with now? Absolutely. I, mean, I, I think you're going to see similarities up and down the organization. I, I think the way they treat the players, the way they the day-to-day life here is everything is towards winning and uh, players you see the core group who's been here for the, all those three cups and you can see their work ethic and how they handle those sums every day too it's just everything's everything's towards winning and that's that's the way it should be and i think when you talk about similarities that's that's a big one 
Um, I assume you've played for older coaches, maybe not somebody as young as Colleton, who's not that many years done from being a player himself. Is that a different deal? Well, everybody's different, and he definitely has a different, uh, uh, different approach to it. Uh, but he's a smart coach. I mean, it's just the way his his systems, all his his hockey mind. That's he's a smart coach, and I think he handles handles the room really well. As you look at the first couple of weeks, two three weeks of the season now since that uh, face off against the Flyers on October fourth in Prague. What what do you see as as the areas where this team has maybe started to get better and and some areas where you still need to pick it up? Yeah, well, well, you look at the look at the games; they're all one goal games, and and that can be encouraging at the same time. But I think those are the things we gotta we gotta be able to turn around and, and win those games. That's what that's what good teams do, and and obviously obviously the special teams we we have to get better at, but. I think I think you can see that see that it's not it's not all bad. We're doing a lot of good things out there, and, and uh, you know it's, it's just about winning those one, one goal games, and that's uh, I think we're in a good spot. How do you like Chicago so far? <laughs> Love it. Got a favorite restaurant yet? Um, well, I really like Purple Pig. Yeah, look at was, you, Mister Healthy. Mm, Purple Pig is good. <laughs> sure is. So well, we're glad you're here, man, and I'm very impressed. I know it's early, but you look like a perfect addition to this team. And there's chemistry and things that still have to come together. And you know what else there is, G? Because you're a big hockey fan. Gelling, you got to gel. Yeah, he's learning that he's 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 fitting in nicely. Oh yeah, yeah. But the other guys, they got to gel oh, too. Yeah, yeah, there's yeah. got to be some gelling. Yes, it's about the uh, energy and the <laughs> the the yeah synergy. Ollie, the synergy. Holy standby. She's about to pull a muscle trying to find a cliche. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. Again, Atrium Doors open at 2.30 for Hockey Fights Cancer Night for the Purple Carpet event. Uh, Gates United Center to follow at 4.30. First 10,000 fans get the Eddie Olchek bobblehead. By the way, Eddie's going to hang around after that ceremony and sign his new memoir, Beating the Odds in Hockey and Life. Is Eddie not asked to come on yet? Viv, you got to get Eddie Olchek on. It'll take, it's very difficult. You'll have to actually call him and say, would you like to come on? And then he'll say yes. But get that book, Beating the Odds in Hockey and in Life, because Eddie's a great story. Uh, Hockey Fights Cancer Night. The jerseys the guys wear in the pregame are going to be autographed and auctioned off online to benefit various local cancer-related organizations and the Chicago Blackhawks Foundation. That will start Sunday night and run through Monday afternoon at noon. Uh, At any rate, Ole, I look forward to talking to you a lot this season, and welcome to the uh, Blackhawks and to Chicago. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. Doing great. Thanks. Yeah, yes, good dude. And congratulations mostly on the success of beating cancer. Yes. Think he's, much bigger he's than that. doing fabulous. And what you're saying, you're saying, Steve, you're a professional. How do you follow the great story of Ole Mata? Well, obviously, with the great story of Orion Samuelson and pumpkin patches. Ooh. They go on a little early today to make room for Rich McHugh, the producer who quit NBC News over the Ronan Farrow controversy and getting their story spiked on that creep Harvey Weinstein. I'm sorry if Harvey's listening. I didn't mean to offend you. The Steve Cochran Show continues on 720 WGN. Well, I got my own plane. The fuel's rather smelly. Runs of corn on the cob, sardines and pork belly. I'm a legend on GM, both the radio and telly. I'm Orion Sandelson. Good morning, Big O. How are you, sir? Good morning to you. Doing well this morning in desert in Scottsdale, Arizona. 
spending a few weeks here, meeting with the doctors at Mayo and having a good time, weather behaving pretty well. It's into the 80s and 90s during the day, 59 right now at uh, the airport here in Phoenix. So having a good day and hope you all are too. This is the weird time of year where we're sort of on a par with Arizona. In about 15 minutes from now, they'll continue to have livable temperatures and will be sub-zero. Um, so that's that's why O is in the desert. That and the other reasons you already mentioned. So we want to talk pumpkins this morning? Well, first off, correct me if I'm wrong, Illinois is the top pumpkin producer in the country? Nope. Did we lose the line? I thought I heard a click. I can confirm that. I love seeing all the uh, pumpkin weighing... Um, Tell me we got them back in. Competitions where they weigh the pumpkins, mm-hmm. and sometimes the pumpkins are as large as a, a tiny house. Well, you know how they're... Pumpkins weigh a lot. They're really heavy. And there's different ways of scaling things. So I, I don't want to take credit for this, but pumpkins are actually judged by Steve heads. So they go, <laughs> that pumpkin is the size of 12 Steve Cochran heads. Yep. Well, I mean... That's impressive. That'd be a big. That would be a big pumpkin. <laughs> be a very, very large pumpkin. We're trying to get Orion back online here. We lost um, his line. Are you going to carve out pumpkins with the? You know, Abigail's at a point now yeah. where she might enjoy that. Yeah, I've been seeing that a lot. You know, yeah. a lot of people have pumpkin gathering parties. Um, um, and uh, let me ask you this, uh, Mary Vandeveld, with grandchildren of your own, are yours at pumpkin carving stage yet? Ah, uh, well, she's she's like two and a half, almost three. But yeah, I think she just likes to stick her hand in the goop. You know, <laughs> that's the fun part, don't you? Like it, the stringy goop. And yeah, the pumpkin brains. Yeah, yeah taking out the pumpkin brains. <laughs> that's the fun part. Uh, we use it on. Okay, we're gonna go to the phone here. All right, sorry about that, Big O. I don't know what happened there, but welcome back. Oh, well, that didn't sound good. No, that was a she doink. Didn't that was a doink. <laughs> Apparently, all lines to Arizona are down. <laughs> Sunny Arizona. Sunshine delays, yes. Hmm. It'd be great as if we just, like, everybody got super quiet. We just waited. Well, no. Well, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's like, it's a little bit of a dance. That's Big true. O could be napping. He could take one of his quick naps he likes to take. Big O was going to give us information, and we're going to get him back in a second here, on pumpkin patches uh, here in Illinois. And if you go to pumpkinpatch.patch.org.com, yes, got him back one more time. All right, we're going to try this one more time. You know, Owen, 58-plus years of doing this, I've never had so much trouble trying to talk to you. Well, I've had problems, too. I don't know what's happening to the desert, but uh, maybe the cool temperatures. It's only 59 here this morning, and uh, it'll get up to 80 or 5 or 90 before the day is over. But uh, it's clear, desert blue sky and beautiful, and they even grow pumpkins in Arizona, but nowhere near what we grow in Illinois. We are far and away number one pumpkin-producing state in the nation, and uh, there are five states that uh, produce about 40% of pumpkin acres here in the U.S., Illinois, followed by Pennsylvania, Indiana, Texas, and California. That's according to the U.S. Census of Agriculture. But the two questions that we get most often is, is a pumpkin a fruit or a vegetable? And it's both, so uh, you can say yes to that. And then, uh, 
questions come in saying, well, is it a cucumber or is it a squash or is it a pumpkin? Well, it's all of the above. So uh, that's pretty much the answer to that question. And uh, the thing about uh, the uh, pumpkins and the squash, they're both vine crops. And you'll find cucumbers and muskmelons and uh, other products like that uh, coming off the uh, vines. And so if you want to have a pumpkin, call it a pumpkin. If you want to have a squash, call it a squash. But here's the big thing, uh, Steve, because we didn't talk about this this year on corn. You know, we normally do corn porn, and we didn't do that this year. Right, 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 right. But pumpkins are much the same. The pumpkin produces a male flower, and it produces a female flower. The male flower quickly dies and goes away, but the female flower lives to produce a pumpkin. You know, it sounds like the pumpkin is very busy socially. It's got a lot going on. Now, the pumpkin patches themselves, there's a million of them around. Uh, Everybody has their own traditions. I drive by Gobert's, you know, at least a couple times a week. What makes a great pumpkin? Should you have a squishy spot in it, or should it be nice and firm? I think it should be nice and firm, particularly if you're going to carve it, and that takes a firm pumpkin, and there are some great artists out there dealing with pumpkins, and I'm amazed every year at some of the uh, designs that they come up with, and uh, then there are the pies that we make from pumpkins, and of course, uh, the pumpkin flower is actually a delicacy, uh, but it doesn't last very long, so you have to consume them that quickly. And then pumpkin seeds are also popular, so you get a lot of products off the pumpkin. And uh, it's uh, it's really quite a crop. And we did have a disease a few years ago that really hampered production. That pretty much has been brought under control, so I think we're okay on that as well. Alright, so uh, you, we should all go to our local pumpkin purveyor our pumpkin proprietor, our pumpkin people, and spend a little money and have fun with your family. It's one of the great family events you can do. A little cider, a little donuts, a little pumpkin action. You bet, and uh, pumpkin donuts. And, of course, you mentioned Gobert's years ago on WGN when we would broadcast live from a pumpkin farm and do pumpkin fest. We picked the Gobert Farm, and of course, they're probably about four miles away from my house in Huntley, Illinois, uh, on Highway 47, just south of the uh, interstate. But there are pumpkin farms all over the place, and I agree with you. Get out and buy pumpkin and carve it and make a pie and do all of the other things that you do make with pumpkins. All right, my friend. Thank you. Don't take any more calls today. It's far too dangerous. Yeah, uh-huh. I can tell that, and I'm going to uh, call the uh, Secret Service right now and get it checked out. <laughs> I think that's probably a good call. We're coming back with the headlines next. Let's talk for a second about what is the Me Too generation, the Me Too story, the Me Too situation here at the end of 2019. You know we're two years deep on this now? You realize that, Jake? No. Two years ago, um, all of this uh, really got uh, inflamed and blown up into what we now know as an absolute epidemic across the country. I believe the behavior of men in many ways has changed. I believe this story has done a lot of good. The problem is when you have a story that can do a lot of good and it's not aired by the people that employ you. 
So here's what we know. Great journalists gather news. Sources are confirmed. The story's vetted, and then the story's run, unless it's spiked. This almost never happens. It certainly isn't supposed to happen. And NBC News killed the Harvey Weinstein story that Ronan Farrow and Rich McHugh did because they didn't want it to run. Why? Well, let's ask Rich directly, and you can read all about this in Vanity Fair and in Ronan Farrow's new book, Catch and Kill. Good morning, Rich. Good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on. I hope that was a fair summation. I think so. So so as you lay out and catch and kill, you guys go out, you do this work over the course of what, eight or nine months? Yeah, we, uh, that's, that's, that's about right. We started in, um, uh, I think it was about December of 2016. And by February, we had sat down and interviewed, uh, the actress Rose McGowan. And she'd gone on the record with us and told us, uh, you know, after, when the cameras turned off, but she was still on the record that, that, uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, she alleged that he had raped her years earlier. Right. And so once once we had that, um, we tried to continue gathering um, evidence and materials. And um, over the course of the next couple months, we amassed a lot. And we, we uh, came into possession of this audio tape where Weinstein himself admits to uh, sexually assault, sexually assaulting this, this, this model, Amber Gutierrez. And that's the and famous that's the famous Italian hallway or the Italian actress in the hallway where he says something pathetic like "Come on, everybody does this." Correct. Okay. Yeah. And so to listen to the audio itself was was just for me personally it was chilling because we saw instantly what all these women had been through right. in those private meetings. And so when we had that, I knew. Um, it was a little bit scary, to be honest, because I knew we were then in possession of something that was most likely the beginning of the end of Harvey Weinstein. And um, and you knew what a big deal he was. This is one of the biggest money makers in Hollywood. And you also knew, before you knew what Lack and Oppenheim were about to do to you, that there certainly was this history of corporations being afraid of certain things. 60 Minutes shut down the Jeffrey Wigand big tobacco story. But on the other yep. side of that... The Post, remember the Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep movie from last fall? It was all about the Pentagon Papers, where the paper could have been lost, and, um, and, and the Post ends up running the story. So the right thing to do is to run the story. So the obvious answer is, why shoot it down? What was NBC afraid of? Well, it's a good question. I think, uh, you know, I think Ronan, uh, Ronan Farrell, my, my partner on the story, does an excellent job of laying it out in his book, Catch and Kill. If you haven't read it, I would, I would recommend that everybody read it. It's a... Uh, it's incredible. Um, and what I tried to, to lay out in the piece I wrote for Vanity Fair was, you know, if you just connect the dots to what we were working on um, from what we were working on all summer and um, the, the spirit in which they um, kind of uh, tried to stop us, there was, there, was, there was pauses. There was, you know, let's wrap our arms around this thing. Let's, um, we can't go do that shoot. We were ordered not to go do several shoots and interviews. And it all began to, uh, we, we began to realize, you know, that our own news organization does not have our back on this. So not only were we trying to to pull, you know, sensitive information about this, about Harvey Weinstein and convince victims to go on the record, but we were, you know, kind of internally a, a bit at war with our own news organization, trying not to let these women even let on to that because 
if they didn't think that we could get this across the finish line, they would never have spoken to us. Yeah, and Andy Lack starts a little victim-blaming. Oppenheim and Lack both blame the two of you, at one point even absurdly claiming, well, we didn't run the TV interviews because you guys own them. Uh, no, reporters right. do not own uh, the, the material. They, they, that's why the story didn't run initially. At any rate, G, your question. Well, I mean, Rich, obviously now in hindsight, but you kind of didn't realize that while during your journalistic efforts that there was an entire news story that was unfolding in NBC. And of course, that had to do with Matt Lauer. So do you think that was ultimately Correct. the reason why they were trying to? Uh, I do. I do. I think they're they're inextricably linked. And, you know, Ronan lays it out in the book again. But I think we realized that um, right at the time that they were killing the story, there was there was something else at work. And we never really could figure out. We had our suspicions, but we never really could put our finger on it until now. And, you know, thanks to Ronan for unearthing some of these emails and, and documents and documenting the, the settlements that were going on behind the scenes with between NBC and the victims, some some actual victims of Matt Lauer, uh, and the amount, amount of calls between executives at NBC and Harvey Weinstein himself in the days leading up to them killing our story. It's all pretty clear. So I don't know how anybody reads that account and, and my own account and, and believes what's coming out of NBC these days. Well, you recount the real type of jeopardy that you were in. It was shocking to find that your cell phone, you believe, was hacked. Also, your home in New Jersey was broken into. You have a family as well with uh, young uh, daughters. Um, this was a very scary time for you, and there was a lot at risk. It was. Um, I, I'm not going to lie about it. It was, it was terrifying, and it you know, it's, it continues. <laughs> it's a funny thing. You know, just last week, um, uh, someone was trying to break into my emails. And so it, it, it's not over. And the, 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 uh, that's the, the weird part about this. But um, there was a lot at stake. And, you know, for Ronan and I, we, we had promised a lot of people along the way that we were going to get their story out. And for, you know, that, that was of utmost importance to me. Because, you know, for some stories, networks tell you, you know, don't do this. You know, there's another story that would be better. But this one, the stakes were so high that we had decided, you know, deep into it that we we were just not stopping at any cost. Yeah, and, and that's what our, our network wanted us to do. They, they, they were basically ordering us to stand down from interviews and then eventually just to stand down uh, for good. And, and that's as, not right. As we said at the top, that's not the way journalism works. And frankly, that's why that's why fake news is such a destructive term, because when you create this sort of lack of confidence in legitimate news organizations, as NBC has been and should always be, they got some explaining to do here, Lucy, as this story continues. So uh, I'm amazed to hear you're still under the gun and under threat because you resigned over this. Yeah, I did. I mean, that was even a year ago. Um, but I feel, um, you know, I don't feel this is over. And uh, I think, you know, the public is starting to learn about what what happened and what took place at NBC. Um, but there's still, you know, NBC is saying, you know, hasn't apologized for any part of this, for, you know, which is kind of shocking to me. Um, and they've even blamed some of the, the women that right. we you know, had in our story and basically called them liars, which is the most astounding thing of all. So, so it, it continues. 
I want people to read Ronan's book, but uh, if this is about the Matt Lauer knowledge, is the and I don't it sounds conspiratorial here, but in the big picture, does that mean there was concern that the story would blow up big enough that the Lauer thing would be exposed, or that Weinstein, who is known to do anything that's in Harvey Weinstein's interest, had Matt Lauer information and would release it unless NBC helped? Um, I think Ronan documents that part of it, you know, very very carefully. Uh, you know, Weinstein's relationship with American media and stories that were being published about Matt Lauer at the time. Um, so I'll let I'll let the reporting in his book That's fair. You know, speak for itself on that. But I, I would say it's all of it. Yes, I think NBC was terrified. They, I think they knew. I know they knew. Um, and so um, I think there was just a general apprehension that grew into a outright fear as the, the more reporting we did. This used to be the death knell for somebody that had the guts to do this because you could work for one of the major news organizations or you were out. It's not that way anymore, though certainly the income is different at one level than the other. What's this done to your ability to be employed and your ability to support your family? I think it actually, um, I don't think it ha- has had any negative effect. You know, just the opposite of it. of News at news, you know, networks calling and saying, "Come work for us." Um, you know, some studio, um, uh, some some, you know, companies out in LA uh, are wanting to work with me, and Good. so I'm taking a step back and thinking, you know, where do I really want to work and what do I want to focus on? So I, I think it's, you know, the feedback has just been overwhelming, um, positive. I got less than a minute here. Oh, sorry, Rich. I got less than a minute here, G. Yeah, just really quickly, Rich. I just wanted to know what you thought about Oppenheim coming out and uh, kind of his memo that he sent out and sort of his his effort at damage control based on what you and Ronan have uh, revealed. I think uh, it's not surprising. You know, it's it's more of the same. It's the same thing that they've been saying from the beginning. Um, and you know, I told them initially. I, I said, if if you're going to continue on this narrative. This is only going to get worse. I think it's best if everybody just comes to the table and says, we're sorry, we screwed up, and let's try and move on and apologize. But they weren't interested in doing that. And so I think the American public understands exactly what is going on, and uh, it's it's not over yet. Uh, please say hello to Ronan. We'd love to have him on talking about the book as well. And. Um uh, and continue this story for thank you for your this work. audience. Yeah, seriously, man. Because in, in this era of the term fake news being thrown around, this is the last thing you need. Um, and this has to be stopped. And most importantly, for the women involved and this criminal Harvey Weinstein, who spent the rest of his life in jail for this. And Oppenheim and Lack, based on Pharaoh's book, ought to be uh, unemployable as well. So much more. As you said, Rich, the story continues. Anyway, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Rich McHugh, we agreed to come on at short notice there, and really no notice to come on and talk about it, but it's important, and you can read again about the story uh, in Variety and certainly pick oh, up the Vanity book, Catch Fair. and Build. Oh, Did Vanity I say Fair. Variety? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Vanity Fair. That's the second time I said Variety, okay. wasn't it? They're both great. Do they both start with V? Yes, they do. Uh, it's in Vanity Fair, and uh, Catch and Kill is a Ronan Farrell book. It's uh, 9.51, and Bill and Wendy ahead at 10. Uh, G and I were just talking off the air, and frankly, the show interrupted us rudely right there. I'm so sorry. I think I distracted you. That's That's my fault. My bad. Texters continue to chime in on the school strike. Bring in an arbitrator, says 708. We were told they cannot legally strike over staffing and class size, which is holding up a settlement. They also cannot add things to talk about. The mayor should have put on the brakes from the start. Yes and no. We don't have time to get into all of that. 
uh, because we're out of time on the show. 224, more than 30 kids in a class, they have to have a teacher's assistant. 630, the CTU decided to strike when Lori Lightfoot won as mayor. 773, have the teachers decided to throw global warming in yet? 312, the question came up earlier. The mayor's daughter actually attends a Catholic school in the West Loop. A15, Elizabeth Warren's here. If she's so smart, let her negotiate. Uh, and one more, 920. High school specifically is not just about learning. It's about extracurricular uh, curricular experience and growing. Seniors are missing out on playoff games or band concerts and extracurricular activities. It could ruin their senior year experience, but certainly take away memories they won't have now for the rest of their lives. Those are valuable experiences and the strike costs. And it continues. And based on what we heard this morning, doesn't look like it's going to end tomorrow, the next day, or the day after that. It is 9.55, Bill and Wendy coming up, and uh, Steve will be in the Northwestern Medicine. No, that's not Steve. Who's in the? Jordan. Jordan Burnfield. Who let him in? Uh, Jordan. Jordan's a good dude. Jordan's in for Bertrand in the moment on 720 WGN. All right, 9.58, a couple of minutes away from the Bill and Wendy show, where what will happen today? Well, they know. Tell us, won't you? Well, Steve, Neiman Marcus every year puts out this fantasy gift list. and Which one? Neiman or Marcus? Oh, I well, know about it. Together. They work together on this. Oh, they fantasy. do? Yeah, Neiman okay. and Marcus together. So it's a lot of exciting items, none of which you could ever even imagine being able to afford. Do they really exist or is it all just made no, up? They really no, they really exist. It's fake, torture. Fake presents. <laughs> right. Who really wants some of this stuff? I do. She does. <laughs> she wants all of it. Yeah. Do you? Can you think of one off the top of your head? No. Okay. Let's check. Nope. <laughs> can you think of anything off the top of your head? It's there, like sail around the world on a private yacht with like diamonds for breakfast. There's a lot of that kind of thing. I know. You know. Remember Denise Richards, the actress. <laughs> all right. I might be interested in that. You should never eat diamonds for breakfast. Yes. What Denise, about Denise Richards does the thing where she helps train your animal. You have Denise Richards comes to your house and trains your dog or cat. Well, if I can. Think of one reason to have Denise Richards at the house. That would yeah, be that'd it. be the one. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. just going to have Steve Dale come. Oh yeah, he would do it. It's cheaper to have Steve Dale come <laughs> by. So that's coming up, and then uh, afterwards, uh, and a recap going, of it. Afterwards, you're going to the new Next Our Benefits meeting. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Right. And sense around. Oh, that's probably not for the listeners, though. Oh no, no, no. It's just private. Oh, okay. Uh, I hope you enjoyed today's broadcast. I know we enjoyed bringing it to you, regardless of the outcome. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back tomorrow, and we'll do it again. I believe that starts around 6 a.m. I'll be here by 5.59.30, and I look forward to seeing you then. In the meantime, the music's about to start, and the Bill and Wendy show will come on right after Serving that. Serving the great Midwest from Chicago.